this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Something, something, industry-leading shows. We never actually came up with a tagline for this show. But then again, I, we actually didn't need one because what people don't know, I actually think this genuinely is a reason why our careers have gone the way they have. When we made this show, though, nobody watched anything. There weren't any of these shows. There was like two, one and a half of them, and then they were mad suspect at that. And in fact, I even went on some of these shows that were the, the big podcasts over the years back in the day. They were all losers, mate. They were all just people who genuinely either A, legitimately like the law of League of Legends, or B, think playing the game League of Legends is the best thing and just tangentially thought that like Dyrus is good or something like that's about as close to esports you got so this is the real shit you all know what someone in insight is but of course someone insight now is brought to you by esports bet which is obviously crypto odds matrix isn't it so they have if you've never deposited on their site a 50% deposit bonus up to 200 US dollars and also if you using do our referral deposit link. <laughs> yep, using the link in the description. And also, if you do deposit crypto, they will give you a 50x bonus in DJT, which is their token that they use to play in the competitions on their site, which we'll get to later, and we always mention anyway. So basically, if you put in 100 US dollars, or USDT in this case, you would get 5,000 of the DJT as a bonus to play with in that competition. And obviously, as you see, we use the DJT where we make the bets. That competition is the one with the millions of dollars and the hundreds of thousands individual prizes all are. So we've gone over it in the past. We'll go over it later on. Anyway, let's get into the episode. What we talk about in this opening section is the question. Uh, well, we've got a lot of choices. Obviously, we'll save LEC for Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Right before we bring Nelson on, uh, we will vent all of our frustrations about uh, trade bugs and the remake uh, so that he doesn't have to be in the danger zone. And they will allow him to express his opinion should he choose to uh, once he comes on the show. So we'll save the LEC stuff for him. We can talk a little bit about LCK this week. We can talk about LCS, uh, Team Liquid maybe looking a bit shaky. Which direction do you want to go with this? We can do some LCS if you want. We start with yeah. some LCS. Um, we can talk about, if, if you want to have a laugh, we can talk about the complete fiesta uh, that was the Immortals versus Dignitas game. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of angles. There's a lot of angles this week. Um, I mean, that was we, a game we had picked out. Didn't we have like Immortals on that one? Didn't we have the underdog picked? Yeah, we did have the, I mean, four on, on Competitive Edge. We did take that one. We also, by the way, took Cloud9 over 100 Thieves, which had three to one odds. So that was that was actually a huge upset. I mean, we can talk about Cloud9 going 2-0 with the new roster. I guess the Dignitas one wasn't too surprising. But what was interesting was that Cloud9 looks like uh, they are significantly improved. Now, obviously, in the first week, we knew that the, their bot lane was playing really badly. Um, and so they were having significant issues, uh, especially with Fudge still still out and at home. Now, he was still out and at home this week as well, it appeared, given the player cams. But they actually had a full week of practice with their new bot lane. Sven actually looked surprisingly good on support already. Uh, wasn't a wasn't a shock that he had been grinding a bunch, but for him to have this synergy already, to be able to execute on some of these roams, know when to like head into mid lane or head out on the map with those kind of timers, I thought was was really impressive. Um, yeah, they just I think they looked really solid overall in the hundred thieves game. It was certainly uh, certainly for a team that had a week of practice looked much better than expected. Hundred thieves. 
increasingly looking like a team that will not be headed towards the world championship. I mean, that's the more interesting one to me. Obviously, no one knows how good Cloud9 is going to be. They've only just got the new roster together. I don't give a fuck about the games with the stand-ins. The 100 Thieves angle is the more interesting one to me, Monty, because the actual implication, if you look at the way the playoffs in the last split went, the regular split before they made playoffs, and now the way the split's begun, like... Do people forget that in the split they won last year, they weren't even the best for most of that split? Like, this genuinely looks like the window's, like, closing on this team, mate. It's sad. Because on paper, it's still a great roster, but it just doesn't show up in the server. You just don't get the players you think you do. All right. So here's the thing about 100 Thieves is that they peak really high and, like, nobody expected them to win. I mean, Evil Geniuses was definitely the favorite, uh, given their strong end to the summer split and they kind of choked in the playoffs and you you could make an argument that in the playoffs a lot of teams that you expected to perform underperformed and then also simultaneously 100 thieves overperformed so it could be just a very uh fortunate peak valley situation for 400 thieves where they were peaking while the other teams were headed into the dumpster um but they do team they do it seems like tend to come together towards the end of the split. Uh, we saw very similarly bad performances for them in spring, and they still made a pretty deep like playoff run, all things considered. Uh, so, I mean, Abadage's performance has not been good. I don't know how this guy just fell off a cliff over the last year because he looked fine coming out of Europe in summer. I don't know summer. if you saw this, but there was even a stat I remember that actually Parth, who obviously now is no longer with TSM, he posted this on Twitter. He said something like that basically if they stay together, this lineup of 100 Thieves, it's like, I think it was like the lineup, aside from maybe like Cloud Nines back in there, it's the lineup that's been together the longest in LCS without any changes. Because if you look back, basically, like true, some of them are a bit scoffed. Like for example, team TSM only changed player because obviously like Doublelift just skipped the split and stuff. So there would have been other teams that could have done it. Sure. But like, that's pretty noticeable because basically what we're pointing out here is teams do not usually get this many splits together. Like actually this team, by the way, there's a world where they could now be a back-to-back reigning champion. They just happen to have only won one time, but like it's actually rare you keep the same lineup. So for me, this split is like it for this team. Like you've got to get something big done. They split potentially in the championship, go to Worlds, because the odds that you just keep the same five players for like two years is not very long. It's not very likely rather. I mean, I do think it's interesting that if that's going to be the case, that we've seen a hundred thieves give up a bunch of their amateur players. So, you know, they sure. gave up Luger to CLG. They just gave up Ken B to, uh, who has looked bad. <laughs> it, even though immortals is not a good team. Like he has looked bad in isolation on immortals. So that's worrying, I would say. Uh, but it, they haven't, they haven't exactly been using the pipeline that they've created for talent. And, also, I mean, there isn't Elsa really Priest. a... Wow, who could have <laughs> fucking predicted? That's why I'm sick of these fucking owners, man. I'm sick of the owners and coaches and GMs all gaslighting me that they're this pipeline. They never use their own talent. They just buy... The joke is they are going to get talent. It's just going to be from Europe. They'll buy that guy and he'll come off. We all know how it goes. <laughs> we all know how it goes. I mean, I, I think it's... I do think it's, it is surprising to see 100 Thieves in this particular position because... If you look at the last few years, there have been times and there has been a narrative that, oh, wow, you know, uh, who he and FBI are the strongest bot lane duo. Oh. Well, in theory, now, the way they got to be the strongest bot lane duo, it is true. They they do. They were favoring some like pretty early game, like who he playing set support and stuff like that. So it hasn't really been in the traditional kind of sit back and scale style. But you sh you should be con 
you should be, if you're FBI, capable of playing a, a scaling 80 carry and still doing well and getting into the late game. If you think about Abadage as a player, a lot of his most played champions of all time are on control mages. I mean, it's like his top three champions are Rise, Azir, Oriana, and the fourth is Zoe. Okay, so he's used to playing long-range control mages. So you think, okay, this should be a relatively good meta for him as well, okay? Uh, someday, been very stable in lane for the last year. He had a slump before that, but he's come back and he's looked relatively good overall. And Closer has been uh, very good in the early game. And this has been an early game team. Now you could say, well, games are going longer now on average. Their mid and late game macro decision-making has been bad, but it doesn't really explain why even their laning phases have gone to shit at this point in time. Uh, they just look really out of it across the board and maybe they can get it together again. They do seem to snap back into it when it matters, but I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I don't think they will this time. Here's also why seems different because there's two factors. One, this is why I also hate the narrative. I get why they have to do it. It is their whole job and they have to justify their existence. But I hate this shit narrative that coaches and players and the media have that every, every week you're like learning lessons and you're adding and eventually you're all going to be like the ultimate team. Spoiler. If your team's already been together with the same lineup, like one of the longest times ever in history, and you still haven't figured out how to close games, in macro in the mid game you're never going to figure it out mate like it's not like Reaper isn't doing these lessons you know he hasn't like waited until now like I'll wait a couple of splits in like he's been doing this from week one and this is a guy by the way who already knows all that shit like I don't have any doubt about his knowledge base some of the players even have been excellent players at times in their careers like I don't know about this mate like that just implies to me they're never going to get it and this is the other point I would make this is also why you can never rest on your laurels in a game because guess what if you have one strength like you were saying there like well we always get ahead in the early game yep what happens if you don't yeah tell you what the time you don't you're fucking done as a teammate because you got no strengths left because that's <laughs> what's so whack like when you run through it like that that's the saddest thing there's still no reason on paper this lineup couldn't be really good they could be the best team in theory yeah absolutely but again the individual talent just doesn't seem to be there their strengths that they rode on for a lot of the existence of this lineup. Closer dominating early game jungling, Abadage being a strong mid laner, their bot duo, even when they had a bad mid laner, like their bot duo was propping this team up. And nobody seems to want to carry on this roster right now. Like there isn't a perceivable strength that they are operating from. And the irony of Closer's name is that they, he can't close games, right? Like that, he can get a lead, but oftentimes it it results in them throwing or playing extremely sloppy mid and late game macro, and that problem's never been solved with this roster. And at this yep. point, I just have to assume that this group of players is utterly incapable of solving that issue. They they need a different voice for macro on this team, and I think that's hard. Now, obviously, if you're looking at performance this year overall, Abadage seems like the clear player to cut, and you can replace him with another import because he's taking up an import slot already. Um, and then there's Huhi, right? The thing about Huhi is he's not taking up an import slot, which makes him valuable in and of itself. But if you need to add a macro voice to the team, you would typically do that in a support role, right? So I think it's I think it's rough. I think it's a really rough position for 100 Thieves to be in. And you want to commit to these players because it's hard not to... It's hard to get rid of the roster when they've made back-to-back -back LCS finals and have won one of them, right? Like, it's really tough to make that call when you're doing so well. Uh, it is, but here's the thing. You want to be the greatest dogs of all time, you've got to make those calls. 
Yep. Like, by the way, if people don't know, those really are the margins it's, in sports. Like, I mean, it's the Mad Lions call, right? What I love about sports is there are teams, some of them are so great. And by the way, this takes greatness to do this. They can even win the championship and still make cuts and upgrades. If you can do that, by the way, you have actually mastered like what it takes to be like a true businessman, in my opinion. Because the problem is you don't want to let sentimentalism get into it. You can do that if you want, but if you do it, your aim isn't to win the most championships. By definition, it's to have a nice time while winning championships. I agree. Like, I, I, even though... I like the problem is they're making that final does in his esports terms justify keeping them together. I would make a gamble move. Like, for example, the main problem I have with this lineup goes like this, Monty. I never thought Abby Dargy was like the best fucking mid laner anyway. Like, that's the real problem. Because you won that split, everyone's talking like he's like some like Bjergsen 2.0. Mate, he's like Bjergsen 0.75. What are you talking about? Like, he listen, he was good in Europe. He wasn't, so, he was nowhere close to the top. He wasn't like the best player. So to me, the problem is like, People are acting like you, he can be like the Jensen Bjergs. Like, we'll just always build around him, keep him. It's like, I don't know about that. Like, I'll give him his chances. If he's good and the meta's working for him, cool. He's a good player. But he's not like, it's not like the the defining player you have to have on this team, though. Like, like for example, it's obviously too late now. But if there had been a chance to, like, change him for Jensen, for example, I would take it in an instant. That's just me. I think the other problem with 100 Thieves is even though they've made back-to-back finals, we have to consider... This, they should the probably have Nisky for this team as well, mate. This could have been a great team for Nisky, don't you think so? Yes. I, I think yeah. Nisky probably would have helped out closer be early on the map. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, Nisky could have gone to a lot of teams. Nisky could have gone back to Cloud9. It probably would have been fine. Nisky obviously going to Mad Lions. I think suits Mad Lions extremely well. Um, well I'm sure we'll talk more about Nisky with Jensen. It, it obviously was pretty criminal that he didn't get a, a team in spring, given that there are a million worse mid laners, especially in the West. And he's played in multiple teams in both lcs and lec so he's a known quantity in both leagues anyway it's you know we'll talk to we'll talk to nelson about that but i do think that what's ridiculous is like if you actually look at the circumstances of 100 themes wins so last year when they actually won uh obviously like you would have expected team liquid to do pretty well but they were you know they suffered from a lot of turnover within the team and underperformance overall still last almost year. beat 100 thieves in that series though <laughs> still almost won um, yeah. <laughs> uh you look at cloud 9 like they really faded down the stretch but the, if you rewind time to the beginning of 2021 you would have said on paper with perks moving over to C9 and team liquid it was the spring final that we had. These are going to be the two strongest teams. And then even by the end of summer, EG was looking really hot with Jazuke and they would have been, they were the favorites, as I said earlier, coming into those playoffs before they choked. So it's not super convincing when we see hundred thieves win uh, in what was a rather disappointing performance from a lot of loaded rosters or, or at least rosters that were hotter coming into the playoffs. And if you look at this time around, if we're going to be truly honest, like 100 Thieves should have won that final. It's It should not be the case that Abadage loses to a rookie NA mid laner in a grand final in awesome. that rookie mid laner's like first stadium match. Like that's not... That's that's not a good result. Like, yes, EG did a fantastic job of taking over those playoffs and just running through the lower bracket, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but there have to be higher expectations of a hundred thieves performance compared to a team that is as young and as raw and frankly as flawed as EG was in those in that playoff run. And those flaws were very readily exposed when we saw them at MSI. So 
I think the whole thing was disappointing. We're also coming off the titanic disappointment of Team Liquid last split uh, that we touched on with Kyoto in the last episode. And there are a lot of caveats in terms of how that team like didn't have core, you know, took a while to get together, everything like that, and have have looked better uh, so far this split, although this week was a little shaky, gotta say. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just feel I feel as though 100 of these have gotten a lot of breaks. Um, they peaked very briefly for the right time and then have been kind of subsisting on the underperformance of other rosters. And Abadage, I mean, last split was a terrible split in mid lane for LCS. It was fucking horrible. Like it was probably this is this isn't even a this isn't even like I think an over exaggeration. It is possible that that was the worst mid lane split of LCS history. And if it's not, the only years of comparison would be like 2013, 2014. Like it was a I long swear. time ago. I, I think, unironically, over half of the LEC mid laners seemed better than anyone in LCS. It was ridiculous. It was yeah. actually ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, on the 100 Thieves point, here's the other angle I think people will miss. I only was talking about the time they've had this specific five man lineup. Well, remember, this org genuinely gambled multiple slits before to get this lineup. Remember, they gave up all those stupid splits with the fucking, what was his name, Rioma and the Demonte swap. That were whole, The whole reason they were doing that, remember, was because at the time they were like we still finagling to when they got some day with the green cards so they could make this line up like this. So the real problem as well is you also built up, this was your window, you built for this window. It's just for me, in my opinion, this last split, especially without what's going now, this is it. Like, it's either going to end brilliantly and you get it all together at the very end, doesn't seem plausible right now, but let's see, or it's just going to end, it's going to sort of like, you could have had the two championships, you got the one, and you didn't win the second it's just gonna it's gonna fizzle out gradually and just gonna and by the way that's the fear for me because as you say the spring that was almost the most wide open fucking split of all time you didn't win that one like that's gonna look pretty bad because <laughs> yeah. the, the summer's playoffs now we're gonna be way way harder like three times harder yeah than uh, yeah way i totally harder. agree like it's way more competitive at the yes. top and like the rosters look significantly better both on paper and in terms of the initial performances that we've seen like even though, yeah, Team Liquid probably should have gone 0-2 this week. They do look a lot better than they did in the spring where they were kind of tragic. Cloud9 isn't a, like, LS Summit Clown Fiesta uh, like it was in, in the early stages of spring. Not saying that it was anybody's fault, guys, but it was a Clown Fiesta. Like, what happened was a Clown Fiesta. Oh, um, <laughs> so I, I think this this roster seems like it's a lot more solid, so they should be more competitive. EG, obviously, coming off of all that MSI practice is going to be highly competitive. And there are, you know, there are at least some teams like CLG that are that are overperforming or at least surprising people with their their performance so so far. So what do you actually think of EG, by the way? Obviously, bearing in mind, to be fair, they haven't played the real cloud now, but what have you thought of EG? Like, do they actually look like they can be the champion again? Are they going to be a top team to you? Do they so... <laughs> So they did they did make some really dumb plays against CLG where a game that basically should have been won late was they they had an opportunity with when they had like Elder and Baron uh, to come back into this game and it was kind of thrown by Danny going for a, a really stupid kill onto contracts that really didn't matter because they were running this late game like Ezreal Corky poke composition. And if you just recalled and set up for the next 
the next iteration, the next respawn of Baron and Elder, they had such strong control with their poke comp and their scaling at that point in the game that it would have been very unlikely for CLG to win. And there also wasn't really an upper, there wasn't anything you could have done with that kill on contracts. Like it wasn't going to lead into anything. And Dom tweeted about this, but I do think it's a, a salient point about LCS teams, which is that they often like tend to waste a lot of resources, particularly summoner spells, a couple minutes before objectives and they just yes. trade they trade really weirdly and danny like flashed on the ezreal didn't get this kill because he didn't realize that contracts had a stopwatch but even yeah. if contracts had died like there wasn't a point in getting that kill so the risk was just like not worth the reward and it certainly wasn't worth the flash that he might have needed at the next fight so it really i think that part was was kind of disappointing overall which is that they fought their way back into a game from behind and then managed to throw that game anyway. So let's, the, go on that, let's do a sidebar because the obvious sidebar, it's an abstract point about the game of League of Legends right now, Monty. The point is this, right? I think I can even nail it. Here's the issue. People still play like it's the old League of Legends before the Dragons. Like they keep forgetting, Monty, the whole game. That's why I keep saying it's like you're, you're not playing an open world. You're not playing fucking Zelda where you can go around the whole high, fields of Hyrule, Monty, and choose to go here and have an adventure here. You've playing Time Crisis, you can't. You just get moved between dragon 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 soul baron dragon so all you do is dragon baron herald like so in this scenario the whole game plan genuinely should be someone within the team should essentially be shot calling like in a minute or so we're going to go for this dragon you should have the game plan in mind of what you're going to do because this is actually as you say it's actually like an amateur mistake when you consider how many times teams do stuff like take a pointless skirmish which even if you win you get like two kills from it doesn't even do anything on the map but they'll do it when like if you fuck it up and you waste like someone is like this now you just like can't take the next fight or whatever or you just lose or like your ad seal just die immediately without a flash or something like that you people have got to essentially understand like the value of the flash in that sense it's right. way higher than just getting the kill and i think i think dom's point on twitter is is correct which is that which is that if you can fight these skirmishes in between objectives right absolutely especially if you're the team that's ahead but you have to know exactly what your goal in that skirmish is and it has to be like i'm going to burn this tp or i'm going to burn this flash i'm going to trade it for a lower cooldown ability like you know an ultimate or something like that and then at that point in time it makes more sense for you because you've set yourself up. That cooldown will be back up for the objective. Their cooldown will not. And you get these incremental advantages from these skirmishes. So they do actually have to have a purpose. Um, So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I think that is a, that's a core issue. And like, that's what we saw in this game as well. I mean, the other obvious as well to understand here, if you're a casual is individual players, aren't always going to be able to make these choices. It's like a team thing. You've got to coach them to understand because essentially it's a classic problem. Leagues had as it's evolved Monty. When the game began, you just go for every kill you can, if you can get it. Cause every kill in your brain is like an extra kill is gold is a killer. Like no, like now, like it's actually more, if you notice these decisions, it's more like, is this an efficient decision? Cause sometimes I see it all the time lcs dude they go for kills and waste ults and i'm like that's not even worth it dude like now you can't even have a team fight because you're wasted two ults on this one foot like you killed the support you can't you weren't even in a 5v5 like, you know what i mean like people still they still almost have like the solo queue mentality sometimes they just greed for kills 
Yeah, and also, I mean, this this game should have been over long before this point anyway, if we're being honest, because the only reason EG got back into this was because, again, objective bounties are huge, and it is egregious. And we'll talk to Nelson about this because it actually happened in their Vitality game as well. But when a team has Dragon Soul, uh, it is absolutely absurd uh, what you can do with this one... Uh, like what you can do in terms of bounty comebacks if the other team has it, because you could be even in gold. And if the other team has dragon soul, all of a sudden you have objective bounties because the weight, the more I see, cause we don't know exactly what, what triggers objective bounties, but almost every time that there's a dragon soul on the map, it allows the team that is behind, like behind technically like behind to be ahead yeah. in gold. Right? I just hate League of Legends. Because anyway. <laughs> what I hate is like every iteration of the game is some form of blue shell. Why always a blue shell? All I'm trying to think of that, listen, I know this is an abstract point, guys, but just think for a second. There are no blue shells in sports. There's no like, look, in the Super Bowl. Like, remember that Super Bowl where Peyton Manning got absolutely dicked by the Super Seahawks, right? It's not like at the end they go, and here's the bonus last minute, though. If he gets a fucking 80 yard Hail Mary, he'll win the game. Like, what would the point of that be? You totally undo everything brilliant about the sport. But League is just rammed with these fucking comeback also, mechanics. Also, coincidentally, <laughs> how you can tell that the JK Rowling designed Quidditch uh, uh, knowing nothing about sports because the fact that you can get you know that many points for catching the golden snitch and just invalidate the entire just rest of the game from happening. <laughs> I mean that's basically like that is basically the analogy of what happens right now. It's like yes. one team will be super far up. Oh man, we controlled Dragon from six minutes. Now we got the Dragon Soul. And then all of a sudden like EG fucking catches the golden snitch. And it's just like what the fuck man? Like why did I do all of this work? Well, how did they control is. how did I control four consecutive dragons secure them properly and then now I'm just getting punished I lose Baron and even though they're ahead in gold and they have the Baron buff I, I, there are still there are still objective bounties like they're still getting more money funneled into them it's so stupid <laughs> also what's that logic of like mm, seems like you win in the game a bit too hard like oh, what my bad to get fuck my whole get fuck my shit up then fam what are you talking about like, <laughs> why, why does the game have to be like this why can't I just reward people for good things punish people <laughs> for bad things I don't I understand you're obviously the most satanic company ever right but actually making your own game an inversion of reality where the good are punished and the, and the fucking the terrible are held up and praised and given a chance to win it's a bit too far it almost implies there's a darkness within you uh, why are you not trying to make a wonderful game where it's all awesome I, I think I think there are it definitely needs some like tweaking especially around the dragon soul to the objective bounties where a team that has soul is not quite so heavily punished um because that's that's really the most egregious factor we'll we'll talk to nelson about that as well but i mean if we're honest like e eg should never really have been in this game uh because of how hard they were losing for the vast majority of it and you know Credit to CLG. They found a, a roster, at least in this meta, that seems to work for them. I, I don't think that this is probably going to be... I don't think they're going to be a deep threat in the playoffs, especially in over a best of five compared to the favorites, which are Team Liquid, EG, and, and C9 at this point in time. But, you know, they could have a respectable top five finish in this league, and that would be, I think, pretty good for them. People are hyped right now because they're tied for first place but again we've also touched on that their strength of schedule was you know not amazing uh for the first week of of play but they did in fact pass the pass the test of beating eg although 
they did almost throw that game, and then they also lost to Flight. It's Flight. impressive to win that many games with just all like any talent except the Luka. That's, remember, even these are minor region. I think that's just impressive in itself. Even if they don't win any more games, they've already they've already started. That's pretty legit. Yeah, because on paper, no one would give that roster a chance. Everyone would just hit on it, wouldn't they? Of course, <laughs> understandably, it's got no big names in it, has it? I mean, I don't think that that on paper that roster is the worst team in the league. Like that that honor, yeah, I think, is the But yes, you wouldn't have said this team is going to be four and one at the start of the season. Although perhaps with Cloud Nine's like kind of roster issues, you would have said, okay, maybe like C9 is going to be underperforming a little bit. But now that C9 had a two a week, it, it won't really matter again. You only really have to. Ideally, in LCS, obviously, you make top six because that way you get two lives in the double elimination bracket. Like getting seventh and eighth gives you one life for the entire time, which is really, really difficult. You just have to not lose for the entire playoffs, which would be a crazy run. But I mean, C9 should be comfortably in the top six right now, which is really the only thing that actually matters. Uh, what I did appreciate, though, is this. I was actually getting a bit worried at first because obviously TSM won a game against Team Liquid. So I was like, bloody hell, we're going to have to compliment TSM. But then they did us a favor and immediately got dusted off by Golden Guardian. So that's all good. Thank you. <laughs> universe gives, universe takes away. That's all cool. It's all fine. Also, I mean, there's, there isn't a universe where we thought TSM would be no, worse with this roster. I mean, it, should, it shouldn't even be as bad as the army. They should be slightly better than they are now. Come on. Yeah, I, I think they'll they'll get their shit together. Uh, Speaker had a really good early game against Team Liquid. That win was really one sided, very convincing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maple had a good game. Uh, people have been talking up Maple in my conversations with them about how he's doing individually in oh, the. Did you see the Georgia Pion trash talk though? Oh no, Spicket. <laughs> I keep forgetting because actually they're like the two main NA trash talkers now. Now double semi retired. Did you see the Speaker tweet? No, it's pretty good. What he did was right after that game, he just tweeted something like, you know, like the Bjergsen International like underperformance like came early this year. So it was like. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I said I like it. I dig it, man. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. I hope Speaker goes to a I good like team. That. Speaker to Team Liquid next year. Uh, I think we can safely re replace Santorin <laughs> at this point in time. Santorin, sure. Santorin, um, Santorin's mechanics are a little suspect at this stage in his career. And I think uh, if you had to upgrade one part of that roster, although I will say Hansama has looked really bad uh so far this split by hansama standards guys because there's no excuse for hansama it's a fucking Callista draven meta are you kidding me hansama should be absolutely popping sure. off right now and he's just dying in lane randomly in 2v2s like you expect so much out of this hansama core jj roster especially considering hansama was probably the best carry or look arguably the best carry last year in lec i think you know, you could say upset was was certainly up there, but among like top two. Okay, let's let's put it let's put him up at top two, and he like Abadage has just kind of fallen off a cliff since coming over to NA. Was fine, was okay like last split, but he's not the he was he was brought here to be lane dominant with Core JJ, and now he's just like giving up kills to a TSM duo of Mia and Tactical. I mean, that's not. That's not okay. <laughs> That's not okay. As we can see with Abadage and Hansama, the skill vampires in NA are very real, apparently, at this time of year. Very real. Also, here's the joke. 
obviously now everyone's just going to go on and on about that Danny and fucking Giorgio Pion story till the end of time. But the real story, if you actually look over the last few years, is fucking junglers. It's that speaker and blabber exists. Like, yep. these are players who are actually, like, competent, like, NA players on an international scale. Like, these are good. This is The real future of NA, by the way, is these players. We'll see if the EG ones make it. They're, they're so young in their careers. Who the fuck knows? It all depends how these next couple of years go. These two are legit players. Like, speaker and blabber will be around for years and years and years. And it looks like they're going to be some of the top talent. Like, they actually look very legit players. I didn't even blame Speaker for last split, mate. That team was garbage. I don't think he could have done anything with that team. I'm not surprised if he had a morale dip or something. I would, who the fuck wouldn't? They were last players for fuck's sake in the whole else, yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, also, you're looking over him, motherfuckers like, who needs you getting millions of dollars? Like, God, the awesome <laughs> Look, I think I think Speaker's likely going to get a, a big contract from somebody, uh, uh, you know, at the end of at the end of this time, I actually don't know what his contract situation is right now. Is he a free agent at the end of the season, or did he did he did he pull a Bjergsen and sign like an eight year contract? Uh, with I thought uh, he got I thought he extended, didn't he? Oh, actually, no. He, it expires at the end of this year, so he could be free sometime okay. soon. Could be free sometime soon. Um, he will definitely be a hot commodity. You'd have to assume, like. Probably a lot of teams would would do well to have him on the roster instead of their current jungler. Arguably, sure. hundred thieves as well, depending on whether they want to keep closer or not. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know any any other topics you really want to hit on in, in LCS. Like it wasn't, I don't think, the most exciting week. I've got overall. a question for you. Right, it's, uh, technically, when we criticized them, like uh, let, let me think earlier last split. Let me just think a second. Because technically, it's next year that's actually like 10 years of LCS, right? So that, that, how does that even get counted, actually? I think it should be next year, right? No, I think it's this summer they're doing it, actually. I'm not that's sure. I think it, it's this summer. I, I thought they hinted something about it before they split, didn't they? Didn't they do like a video that implied there was going to be something? I think it's for this summer, yeah. I think they're actually doing more of that content, yeah. Okay. Because the only thing I have a problem... <laughs> the problem I have with LCS is this. I don't even really understand what they think the theme of the league is anymore. Because I made this video like a year, maybe a year and a half ago or something, where I said, I actually think the area where NA missed the boat completely is thinking it could ever be like the best competitive region or like even comparable. Like, I think that's a pipe dream, personally. What I would have lent into was having all those personalities because the LCS began with e are easily the best set of personalities of anyone because I had all the streamers that people don't know. Like at the Perfect. time, Koreans were nobody. We didn't know them. We didn't know what they did on the server. Even Europeans were just only good for being really good at the game or there was about like, four of them that were streamers and enormous it was like frog and a fucking you know those but it wasn't many like it put it this way right. even some of the medium you tell didn't even stream so i always thought like the area they didn't make use of because they sadly went the disney route was they made it try they wanted here's the real problem monty they wanted to be the nfl they should have been wwe they could have if they yep. were the wwe the stories could to this day would be amazing wouldn't they like imagine the storylines you could have kept running yeah i uh, look i think that's that's absolutely true uh, there wasn't ever a universe where they were remotely competitive, especially when they started. I mean, LCS was the the quality of play in LCS when they launched LCS in 2013 was abysmal. It was, it was. really bad. People guys. don't know like, those bottom teams were absolutely outrageous. Even the top, even the top teams were outrageously bad. Um, the only exception was maybe like Cloud Nine, um, but they were they were outrageously bad by international standards. Um, 
And yeah, the bottom teams like holy shit, we're we're just incredible. All you need to know bad. is this: this is actually how you know how bad LCS was. Because when teams like TSM were going to like season three worlds, people were talking up that they just didn't totally get smashed. That was talk like them not just instantly being destroyed by like a Chinese or Korean team was talked up as like they did well. Like they didn't win these games, boys. They just lost them. But people were like, actually, for a while, while Turtle was like hanging around in lane, it's like. The, you have to, if you're actually any good, you win the bloody game. What are you talking about? Like <laughs> that was the moment I knew like they just fucked out. And as you say, Cloud9 was the only ones, and that was the stupid tournament where they got seeded straight into the quarters. So they played three games in a whole world championship. So yeah, but, but uh, returns to the question though, here's the problem. It's a real question, right? People think when I say because I've said it the last two international tournaments, Monty, I genuinely think it would solve a lot of problems if NA just becomes considered a minor region. People think I'm saying that to like diss them, like, ha, EU over NA, like, oh, NA, lol, Americans, no. Like, I'm not even joking. I genuinely think the level of play in the region de deserves it. I think it would solve, it would immediately, but by, by the way, there's even an upside to this idiot Americans. The reason why I think it would be fair to make NA a minor region is because then you don't have to make some fucked up special rule that only NA gets. Like, NA can have all minor, everyone else, you don't get them, though, because NA needs help. Like, that's like some fucking mom, like, let your brother have a go. Like, that's not the way fucking sports work. Sports go, oh, you're not uh, ready for what's going to happen for, for a while now. The NFC just gets to have an extra draft pick. Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You don't just do that after the NFL, NFC won for like 15 years. So, I think personally, it would make way more sense because you can't go the other way. Like, I'm saying, the days when it was a major, that's over, mate. It's just over. And everyone who's going to go, but what about this one team that did something? That's called the exception that proves the rule. You are so, aware of that principle. So, right? you, you are going to be highly disappointed. So, here's my informed theory. Let's put it that way. You guys can read into that euphemism. I think Riot is going to open up all minor regions at the end of this year uh, to become residents of any major region. So right now, obviously, it's only like it's Oceania that like the Australian players can come over and play in LCS. I think they will open it up to the Brazilians, the Turkish League, the Japanese League. I think that will probably, and obviously, if you guys are looking at this, uh, Taiwan probably as well. I think if you guys are looking at this, it, it will be obvious that this doesn't benefit anybody who isn't LCS because no other team, except for the Chinese teams, are only going to import Koreans. They're not going to import a Turkish guy, right? So it only really benefits LCS in this particular instance, unless, I will say this, unless, and this could be good for viewership, it's possible that, let's say, a lower tier LEC team might field a mostly Turkish roster in order to cap, like to start branding themselves as like a Turkish team and appealing to the audience of that region. But it certainly wouldn't surprise me if Immortals dumps their roster after this year, gets an entirely Brazilian roster, rebrands to MIBR, which they already own, and then brings a big influx of, of Brazilian fans. It would be much better for the, the company that runs them uh, to do something like that. So I don't think it's going to stop Thorin. And the other reason why they're not going to be demoted to minor region status is as follows. There has to be somebody to replace them based on the current format, unless they blow up the world's format, which again, we, we want them to do, but they will never do because they're they too arrogant. Yes. Um, but if they were to do that, they would have to replace it. And the problem with replacing it is you would obviously replace it with Vietnam, but the issue is that Vietnam has not been able to reliably compete internationally for the last couple of years, so you can't provide a justification. So what's going to happen is LCS is going to be mad propped up by a change to the rules that will allow minor regions to play for them, and 
they have been basically gifted the opportunity to, main, to be to maintain their major region status because Vietnam has not been able to compete due to the pandemic or their teams just opting not to compete, uh, their top team opting not to compete like they did at MSI. Is the issue though. So Monty. that's my theory, man. Let's see if it this goes. Is, now you, now everyone's going to finally understand why on these shows, like they always think, why are you so skeptical? Why, are you, why don't you just give people a chance? Because they're all full of shit. What part of you and my whole career has been exposing that they're all full of shit? So here's chapter one million of why everyone in the LCS is full of shit. Because they've just spent years. It's the whole impetus behind why the CG team exists. Gaslighting you that their ultimate goal is to bring NA talent forwards. Right? You are aware, by definition, this is the best move you could do to deny NA talent spots ever again in LCS. Just say, oh, you know all the rest of the world, uh, everyone else that actually in theory could want to play in LCS? Yeah. Just count them as NA players. If you think it was hard already for someone like fucking Golden Glue to compete against NA people to get into LCS, imagine being Golden Glue and you're literally competing against Maple and some fucking sick Turkish mid laner and some fucking sick Brazilian top. Like, you're never going to get in the LCS again. Rookie guys, forget about it. You'll get you one split and that's it. Because here's the problem. Even though tactically it is the right move to do. Remember, I don't care about NA talent. So for me, it's going to make a better product. I will, I will enjoy LCS way more where I can see the best... Fucking, like I said, like fucking Australian jungler play along with the best a, Taiwanese a mid laner. Yeah. Like, like for me, I'm much more better. interested in like a Brazilian all star team being in the LCS because here's the thing the it bottom... is going to kill any talent though, mate. Like there's no reason any talent should essentially almost exist at this point. I, well, I don't know because like the higher concentration of good players you have in the region, the better solo queue gets. So I don't know if that's true. Like it, it, it may. It will at least make the ladder or champions queue more challenging. Um, so it's a problem, though. I think that just like in LEC, you know, whether people, it's not that they actually know that this guy coming in is better than Nisky. It's just they're willing to gamble. The allure is the gamble, right? It's the premise of, oh, but what if he, what if secretly he is like Vithio and he's just going to be the MVP? The problem is the import angle. The fact that you didn't have that guy in your region, in your solo queue, I think is why teams will be so. Essentially, I think no, I think no joke. Places like Turkey and fucking Oceania, Brazil, they're just going to have, it's going to be a mad talent drain, in my opinion. I think anyone who has like real problems. Promise, we'll just go immediately to an LCS team. I mean, that's I might what be I... exaggerate, but I think it's going to happen. I think it's logical. I mean, if it makes LCS better, that's what I want. And I think you have to look at this from a business perspective too, which is that objectively, LCS is really struggling uh, when it comes to viewership, oh, especially sure. considering if we compare it to five years ago. You know, a match in 2016 between CLG and TSM would have three, four hundred thousand concurrent viewers, and now there are matches that are down at like. 60 50 like if the games start at the same time as we've seen in the last couple of weeks where lec is still on because of delays and lcs starts lcs will have like 20k viewers and it's not until that they get hosted out and the the viewership gets dumped but like the post game show at lec has had more viewers than the lcs when they've been going on simultaneously like a, a game so it's not you know it's not doing well and also you have to provide some way for bottom teams to make money and and effectively like prove themselves as valuable and if i was immortals and i owned mibr which for those of you who don't know is an incredibly popular org and brand that they own in brazil um where it just seems like in counter-strike whenever they pick up a new roster of even nobodies those those players get like famous overnight like the fans all cheer for them uh also immortals has their entire um 
MIBR TV that they operate. So they have like a broadcast studio in Brazil that caters to this fan base that could come on as a Brazilian language, you know, coverage of the LCS. And it would be immensely popular. And the LCS needs that viewership uh, to, to survive at this point, basically. And if, if I'm an owner of an LCS team, even if I'm not the one doing that, I want those eyeballs on the LCS. And I think it's good because right now the bottom teams aren't doing anything, guys. They have no angle. They have no angle, no fans, no audience, right? They've got fucking nothing. And they don't, they're not going to spend money because they have no way to make money, guys. If, if you have an opportunity to appeal to a specific audience and own that market as a team, then all of a sudden you're going to be incentivized to spend that money again. So I actually think that this could be really good for the LCS overall. It certainly would increase my personal enjoyment of watching it because like you're saying, Thorne, I don't personally give a fuck about NA talent. Oh, I agree. <laughs> just just miss me with all the fucking sob stories about NA talent. Like, no one actually cares. No one does. <laughs> right. And they never did. Let's be real. And, and, and if we're going to be honest, guys, like... Well, beyond actually the Peter Dons of the world, fair play. They at least put their money where their mouth is. Those, at least they're actually putting them in the team. Fair play. I know a lot of you say you care about, like, NA talent and you're excited about watching LCS because of Danny and Jojo Pian. But you are the minority compared to the number of Brazilian people who would watch LCS... CB Law is like 40K concurrent viewers. And if they had a team in LCS, all that fan base would come on over, especially if there's a big brand like MIBR in the league, which one of your partner teams already owns the brand of. It seems like such a fucking no-brainer to me. The only problem is, as you say, the numbers always bear out that those people are the minority, but speak like they're the majority. Like They're basically the same people in CSGO who always say, I love upsets, they are better for viewership. And then Gambit upsettingly becomes the number one team in the world by upsetting everyone, and then no one watches the games like, sound. So you would just lie and then just have a lie, cool. Or you're just one guy speaking for everyone. That's the problem, one of the two. And the other thing about NA Talent, Thorin, is like, if, if you had other talent come in you could actually have a legitimate like all-american roster that would be competitive because you need to concentrate the na talent right so if you have one team that's like the brazilian team and one team that's like the turkish team or the australian team then you could legitimately have an all na team that would be good because all of the good players could just get together on one team and it would actually make sense from a competitive perspective so i think from a viewership and branding perspective it is it would be extremely extremely good for the lcs to pull this because they've got no way back they've got no other levers to pull at this point in time going back to your wwe example they didn't do that because unfortunately the people who were in charge of the broadcast at that time and you know let's be real mostly still are in charge of the broadcast although they have brought in like new creative people and that's why the content has improved but the reason why they didn't do that wwe thing thorin is because the people who were in charge knew jack shit about the game so they didn't know how bad their region was. So they just wanted to pretend that they were the NFL because they're like, well, we don't know how good these players are. So we're just going to be the best league, the most serious sports league. And it's like, you can't do that when, you're, when your fucking region is a dumpster fire joke. Like you have to do something else with the content. And they were riding on the coattails of very popular streamers at the time or very popular brands that they had nothing to do with building. Absolutely nothing sure. to do with building. And then they just rode it into the ground. And once those players left and rode off into the sunset, did their own brands. Now they just have to have them as co-streamers who are stealing 50% of your entire league's viewership. And you know what? They deserve it. 
You didn't do any. You didn't oh, do jack did. shit yeah, for yeah. double lift LCS. Double lift did things for double oh, lift. No. Double lift did more for the LCS than the LCS did for yeah, double lift. Exactly. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, I mean, good for him that he, I mean, they keep cutting his ability to co-stream, right? But those personalities, people like Sneaky, like Medios, like I'm a cutie pie, like Scara, like Doublelift, all of these people, Hotshot, all these people who were streamers, they were the ones who brought value to the league. The league was so badly produced that they did nothing with it, had a misread on the competitive level of the region, and so basically just damned it. And at this point, even though... It has gotten better, guys. I do think LCS production is way better this year than it has been in previous years. It's too fucking late. It's too, you killed it already. You can't just sit there with the paddles going. Oh, it is. It's not going to come back. It's not going to come back yeah. unless you do something like bringing these other regions in, which can make it a more interesting international tournament and bring in audiences that you never had access to before. So I agree if this, you know, if they do it. I mean, the joke is, the other reason you can't bring them back now is there's just been so many years of all the NA pros getting their shit pushed in every world. They can't even trash talk or do that, but they just don't have it in them. You've crushed the spirit completely. Like, they don't, they're all broken birds with wings. They're like, ah, I'll just stay in the cage and drink this water. They wouldn't even try and fly out, mate. You could open the door. They would never try and leave. So sad state of affairs, really. Well, also, it, by the way, I'll just throw this in there as well. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna go the approach, they I'll, here's what I'll say. Because when you, as you said, they are definitely also fucked with double lift. But the downside of that, Monty, is we're gonna have to wait about five years till he's not doing core streaming anymore, and he'd have to be dating someone who was high up in Riot, who then wants him to speak against them, and then suddenly he'll get a conscience, <laughs> and we'll find out all those cool stories, won't we, fans? <laughs> See how that goes. See how it works. There you go. <laughs> think, think about it think about it go on Jesus <laughs> um but yeah I, I, it's just it's just too late so I think they have to find alternative business strategies uh, alternative production strategies figure out ways to use their partners you know it also is a lot of these issues are caused by franchising right like oh, basically you know they're caught in this <clears> trap <throat> because their viewership is going down year over year I spoke about this last week literally the same game, C9 versus Team Liquid, was the most high, was the highest viewed match of the first weekend of summer split LCS last year and this year. Okay, so same game, same day, day three Sunday, and most viewed game of that weekend, both years. It was down over a hundred thousand peak concurrence, including co-streamers. Guys, it was two hundred sixty-two thousand peak concurrence last year. It was one hundred forty-nine thousand peak concurrence this year. So you've seen a massive six-figure dip in the peak concurrent audience of the same game, which was the most viewed game. So they've got they've got some very serious issues. And how do you motivate bottom-tier orgs to spend money at this point in time in LCS? The sponsors aren't going to be coming back at the same value with the dip in, in viewership that we've seen in LCS. So they're not going to get as much money. They're probably at this point in time with the way inflation is now, the way that companies are kind of reining in their spending, the, the direction of the stock market, like they're not going to be investing as much either in the league or in the teams. So you have to have some other way for these teams to make money. Like you have you to give them access the to some market. There's the flaw they've got as well, Monty. They've they've actually not gotten even all the upsides of a franchise league because the problem is the, the the basically the best selling point for a franchise league if you're a European, for example, goes like this. 
because you have salary caps and you have this scenario where you're all sharing revenue, it means every team is incentivized to have some form of star player. Like essentially in an ideal world in the NBA, every team would have an all-star. That's like actually how the NBA was designed essentially. I mean, it even started if people don't know like eight teams or whatever. So it was easy back then. So the premise goes, even the worst team should have like a good player that your fans can watch. That premise doesn't work in LCS like you're saying. It doesn't work in LEC either, you'll notice. In LEC, you don't sign this key, you gamble on an ERL guy for a fifth of the price or whatever. The problem is they've created this scenario in the franchising in, in the Riot system where actually the bottom teams don't get that upside. They don't go and sign Jazuke. They don't go and say, okay, Jensen, look, I know it's not going to be good for your career, but play a split for me and I'll pay you the money. Like They, they don't actually have the finances like they do in the other leagues because they don't have the same rev share. They don't make the ticket sales. They don't make money at the bottom, like you're saying. So unfortunately, it's actually making the franchise system look shit in a way it doesn't have to. Like in, a, in The joke is, if franchising as in the game could support it, like I say, it would be better because that way the eighth best team in L LCS would have had Jensen on it. Like Double if probably would still play for someone at uh, some King's Ransom and get most of the salary cap or something. Like that would happen. The, pr the problem is, is that being a, there is, I don't think, very much financial difference from being fifth place or 10th place in LCS. Oh, I doubt it at all. Of course not. Oh. So that's the main issue. So what you have to do and why I think this is a, a good idea to open up these other markets is that even if you're the 10th place team, if you have the Brazilian market because you are the Brazilian team and you have a strong brand and ability to monetize in Brazil, you can still make money while being bad, which is good because then they'll spend more money on the talent, on developing local Brazilian talent to feed into the pipeline, guys. So I actually think, again, this will be a very, very good thing. Very also, good. even though we are going to talk about with Nelson's LEC topic, just as a general aside... Come on, man. How many years has the game League of Legends been out now? We were doing a watch party. Some of these fucking pauses and breaks are just... Oh, look, we're going to... Oh, no, 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 we're right now. There's a problem. That whole thing of like, watch out, Chrono Break. It's like, motherfucker, I need Chrono Trigger. I want to go back in time. This is all a mistake. Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing was, with this game? I, I was immensely Chrono Triggered by the, by the whole situation. Because it's the thing. As mad as it sounds, what made me ultra... Like, the thing that was the straw that broke the camel's back was when they came back for those, like, three seconds and you were like, oh, the game's done. Oh, no, it's stopping again. Like, no, no. I know, exactly. Because for, like, two seconds they were playing. You could even see on the player's face. I'm not joking on the player camps like they got like th it's like the spark of like vital life force came again like oh i'm back and then they're like ah oh. it's like ah oh, exactly okay. <laughs> i also say on some level it's sort of triggering me i've told this story by the numbers so i'll tell you like a brief version but basically when i was a kid i once went to someone's house right when you like you know, go to the house for like two hours or whatever and when i was at their house the reason i told this story is it's an example of how some people don't have like proper social awareness so this kid even though it was his house monty and his game he was just playing a single player game and it's like once he died i was going to get to have a go but because it's his game he was just mega at it so he was just playing for like 50 minutes then i got a go and then like i'm not even joking like i was playing for like one minute 30 or something monty and then i just heard like oh duncan your mum's here now like you have to go like oh fucking brilliant and i even just looked at this kid i, I didn't say because obviously i wasn't me now but like lenny bruce and just transport like hey whatever but i was just even looking at this guy like Really, bro. Like, it seemed you're, you're going to play it when I go now. Like, I can't even get some shine now. Like, what? That's what I feel like when I'm on when those fucking pauses are going. It's like, can I just play the game, please? Please. How, how, how many hours? Like, <laughs> wait, it I took mean, us three hours if you don't know to do one and a half games. Yeah, three exactly. <laughs> we were just three sitting hours. there. It was just going on forever. And it, it's not only that, Thorin, but it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the, 
the swap bug, the champion swap bug oh, that's going on that causes all these games to remake. And by the way, uh, we go into this, Wolf and I talk about this on the, the Monty Wolf show, by the way, if you guys want to check that out, it's on this channel. It's the, the LCK show as well, where we go pretty in depth on it. But effectively, it just adds, I, I can't even imagine the number of hours worldwide that this this swap bug it, it basically oh, no made live league of legends unwatchable for me yes. this last week because yep. the the amount of time with the amount of games that i watch that is wasted by that bug like the bug would last so long sometimes and if i was watching live i would just have the live up muted on my second monitor and i'd be watching a VOD. i would get through a whole fucking game sometimes obviously because i watch games faster than normal right I would get through an entire whole fucking like VOD game on, on my main monitor. And it's like, this is, this is for a, a game that has been around so long. And Wolf and I both, both casted Overwatch League, which had virtually no technical issues because the engine was made in house. It's an extremely good engine. So we wouldn't have these bugs. We wouldn't have these remakes. We wouldn't have all of these technical issues. And on top of the fact that there's this fucking, pick bug pick swap bug that's causing also it's causing all the apis to break so you can't even have the overlays in the game so you're now you're now watching a game where you have insufficient information to make informed takes on the game or not as informed as they would be otherwise as if you had access to all the information that's provided by the overlays also just looks fucking ugly and then on top of that you have this game where there's a bug that happens and then they can't chrono break it properly and then so the game has to be replayed it's just a this game is just a fucking joke from a technical oh. aspect it's it's so just horribly made it's how you know, basically. It's the one thing I do love about esports. Actions just tell everything. It's how you know they didn't actually think it was going to be a game that would be played 15 years later like they all pretend they do. Don't worry, you can go and find hilarious interviews where, like, a couple of years in, they are talking, like, I'll be around in, like, 2050 or so. They are doing, don't worry, they did, did do some of those over the years. But the reason you know they're not telling the truth is you wouldn't hang on to the bloody game from 2009, would you? You'd make, like, an engine upgrade. The joke is, it's like what I always said in CS4. I don't think they can. They're too how deep, many, man. How many billions do you have to make before you do the upgrade? When does it happen? When does it, <laughs> you think they're just waiting for League of Legends 2 at this point? Do we have to just wait I, like I don't five think, more years? I don't think it's ever going to be fixed, dude. I think the game is oh, just too gosh. fucking complicated at this point in time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Even yeah. like 20, so the year is 2030. I'm still watching like Niddly Spears and Threshooks hit like a meter off a guy, but then snap onto the hit. But like, I don't want to be watching all this. And then the game just breaks. It's like, oh, we've got a chrono break it again now, Thorin. We've almost got it working. <laughs> then again, well, the, the best example ever of what Riot Games is has to be what they did with replays, where you know, in the most basic technical sense, they did add a form of replay to the game. It just doesn't serve any. Of the functions that we wanted from replays like why is riot operating on a cursed monkey paw philosophy like with what we wanted is for why is that a thing well i mean they had they actually had earmarked a hundred million dollars to upgrade the engine but then they had a surprise expense of uh paying every single female employee that had ever worked for them for the things that they did to them so uh, we're just never going to get it now is is basically the answer either that thorn or that money you know they really they really wanted to use it but then because they're owned by tencent that just had to go directly 
directly into the Chinese government's pocket as a form of government tithing of a publicly traded company, uh, you know, for common prosperity. Uh, that's that's where it went. That's, that's also went. what tilts me more, though, is like, as you say, like, basically, the reason why it's like, so what about all those replays, right? Can't do them now. Sexually abused loads of women, didn't I? Like, well, what the fuck <laughs> we do that for? Like, but that was an option. Like, those were the two choices on the fucking tree the brunch, was it? What sort of mad fucking, like, alternate dimension are you living in? Fucking hell, just make replays, you twat. Hello. No, I do. I, I do want to get this uh, this conversation out of the way because uh, you know yeah. before Nelson came on, he can add whatever oh, he, he wants, but he didn't want. He doesn't want to be in the middle yeah. of the the minefield of of the anger of why this entirely ridiculous situation took place. Yes. Which then, by and the way, general, I try not to mention anything to do with Tencent or China whenever else is on the show because I like Nelson being Nelson. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it at that. Leave it. Fair that. enough. Fair enough. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll bring Nelson on to talk about LEC and XL. Right, we're back. Our guest for this episode is going to be Nelson. Also, definitely really far forward in the front on Monty's Rolodex. Obviously, another like regular guest on, on this show. I will say, though, here's the thing, Monty. This is the only time Nelson's ever come on the show that the actual trash talk is justified. His team is actually leading the LEC. Every other time. Like, here's the problem. If people don't know the chronology, I introduced Nelson to like Western shows. I was bringing him on like my Chinese one, etc. He was coming on Dom stream. Everyone was loving it because he was all spicy and had all these takes. But then he made the classic mistake. Monty can tell you about this. The second you actually associate yourself with a real team that has to have results, <laughs> Results. Every idiot fan's just gonna be like, lol, how can he actually know anything if LNG didn't even make it to worlds? Like that's like the real logic people start applying. So then he came to Europe and he was like, Well, I want to have loads of spicy takes in Europe. Listen, being in G2, perfect team to do it from. XL, not so perfect. That's that's a team that might be a bit harder to trash talk from. So here's the thing, Nelson. If you talked buku mad shit from teams like fucking LNG and the bad XL, when you're actually in lead in the LEC, I, I, you better be on your game today, mate. You better be cool with some <laughs> Flames today. <laughs> you better be telling me today how shit Fnatic is, that Rogue's just done. Forget about Misfits, Vetio, who the fuck are you, mate? You know, more like Ultra I mean, uh, Come on. So, I mean, I mean, I, I learned my lesson when I was in Europe because, uh, like, branding is more important than your actual ability. So, okay. yeah, well, wait till you get to NA, man. Uh -huh. Then you'll really uh, yeah. discover how true that is. That's all. That's all. I learned that in off season. Like, branding <laughs> is more important. Well, you're Brandon is talking shit, so fucking get to get to clapping. Go All on. Right. So, uh, we are gonna we are going to give you the platform to discuss the horrific regame that you suffered with Vitality. Which, by the way, if you if fans haven't watched those games, uh, well, probably the first game you'd have to go back in the broadcast because it's not going to be in VODs anywhere because now it wasn't the official game. Yep. But you guys got soul in both of the games. You guys had a pretty it was significant clean as lead. Well. It was looking yeah, good. Yeah, you guys had a very significant yeah, lead yeah. in the first game. Uh, then you come into the second game. You utterly stomp the shit out of them in the early game. You get your first dragon at about six minutes. Then you proceed to get soul right on the fourth dragon spawn. You have an infernal soul. You're looking great. Then you you kind of throw the game. So let's let's first talk about the regame and what happened, uh, and then we'll talk about bounties because both of these were very relevant conversations around the world this week in terms of comeback victories or potential comeback victories that we saw and the kind of egregiousness of bounties. But first, what the fuck happened in that first game? Because it was a Banshee's Veil bug where Nuke Duck 
was had his Banshee's Veil up, but Perks couldn't see it on Silas. So he tried to steal the Lysandra ultimate. It got blocked by an invisible Banshee's Veil, and then he pauses the game, right? Is this what happened? Yeah, I mean, I think it was Perks on Silas who tried to get Lysandra's out, and on his on Perks' screen, he couldn't see the, the Banshee like yeah. animation on the character, so it was paused. And as far as I know, there is a... Uh, there is a rule where it is stated that it will not be remake remade if it was like the Edge of Night, but not Banshees. So I'm not not sure, but I'm pretty yeah, sure like what's, this. What's this the distinction between the two? Why would why would only one apply? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't write the rules, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure the bug was it's known for a long long time actually. Okay, so then they tried to chrono break the game, and the game started for like two seconds, and then stopped again, and then the the remake happened. So what happened in that sequence of events? Why couldn't you chrono break the game? I th- I think it's mainly like we were in a different position before. Like I think before the bug happened, it was twenty five minutes, but when it was chrono break, it was not at twenty five minutes. You know, some of my players were losing, like ADCS was missing, some items were missing, and. At first, we thought it was a visual bug, so we just continued and played, but then we realized it's not a visual bug, right? So <laughs> but then we had to re- chrono break again. I think it didn't work, so we just had to remake. And you end up coming into this game with an extreme, like a very different draft from both sides. Which, uh, question for you. Were you given, because you had a substantial lead, were you given the option to redraft? Because I was surprised that they didn't just you p- replay the game with the same drafts. Why didn't that happen? I think it's in the rules that it's always a new draft if there's a remake. Do you prefer that? Uh, I prefer the rules to be changed, like because it was obvious that we're just gonna win that game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm gonna push back on, on that a little bit, Nelson, because you did, in fact almost lose the next game with a very <laughs> similar <laughs> advantage. <laughs> which, which, I'm not going to lie, Is more of it, it says bad things about League of Legends as a game when it comes to the objective bounties, because you found yourself in a situation where you have this really fast Infernal Soul, and then some of your players decide to like run into your enemy jungle when they have two TPs up and kind of like int the game, and then all of the shutdowns occur, and even though gold goes back to basically even, or actually, I, I think uh, uh, Vitality ended up being a little bit ahead by the time they got Baron, you still had outer turrets up because you were just fucking dominating this game so hard that they never had pressure on the map, never were doing anything. You had taken like the heralds, the dragons, everything. You were you were eating them alive basically, and so there were still outer turrets up. So they get the Baron, and there are still objective bounties up, even though they're like two hundred gold ahead as a team in the game as they push down these towers, so they get fed even more gold because the soul the dragon soul is worth so much when it comes to objective bounties and then it takes a, you know a kind of bad engage by perks and good kiting by you guys for you to win the game you still had probably a, a pretty big advantage with the soul and the composition that you had but it was nearly a throw which in some ways validates riot's perspective of the first game without you know not calling it a victory um, because it was a kind of similar condition. But at the same time, it also just fucking sucks that the game decides how hard these rubber band mechanics can come back into play after really just one error on an extremely clean game by you guys. I think after like some experience when the bounty mechanics were introduced, I think 
we kind of realized that every Drake has a rough, uh, rough estimate value of like you know one or one point five k. So, of course, there were like many discussions sometimes where on like whether sh- should we actually take the Drake? You know, it would give enemies bounties. So I'm not very sure. I hope. I mean, it would be the best if like right to clarify what is like the actual value of the Drake and the soul. But I don't think it's good for the game if we can play perfect for let's say like thirty minutes and then just one mistake and we lose the game. I mean, I think that's pretty uncontroversial yeah. opinion. Yeah. I mean, we I, we almost saw this in multiple regions this week, so it wasn't just you guys. Um, but but I would also like to add, in the second game, I think Vitality was, after getting all the bounties, they were 4k up, and I think we had a worse draft. So, so the, the soul it was basically like neutralized. Or we were like, is, though, could, we considered behind. I don't take the like regame that seriously because like I couldn't even imagine those players would be tilted. Like I've always thought the craziest thing in League of Legends, especially, is you have to have that thing where you cannot speak at all. So if you think it's bad being a fan sitting for 30 minutes, imagine being a player who just can't speak, you're just trapped in your own fucking mind. Like, well, can't say or give any indication to the outside world what I think. I must just sit here like I'm fucking being tortured, like a prisoner of Wallach. What it like unsurprisingly, if there's someone then just goes and now play. League of Legends at a high level. Like, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. I might be a little bit tilted, I think is the term. League of uh, Legends plays you. So what I'll say is this. I care more about the original game, Nelson. The original yeah. game is basically why, right, if people have watched my shows, I've always been slightly higher on the XL squads than other people have because I'm a Young Buck fan. And I also think if you look at the squads, they're always slightly better than the pa- the players look like on paper. They never have the best roster, but they're always like in the mix in the playoffs, right? This split, dude, part of the reason why I'm actually quite hyped about XL is exactly the way that game was being played. That was looking really clean, mate. That was looking like the XL might be like actually for real the best team or the second best team in the LEC. It looked really, looked really good. What do you think of the way the split's going so far? Is this the expectation you had? think i mean i don't think it was the expectation i had because i mean this play is going going well for sure i just like firstly i didn't think the teams were so so bad but also it's that even though we had a good boot camp i think most of the improvements were made when we flew back to europe because that's where we made changes to the way or our play style or the way we play you know because i think in spring we just we could set up objectives but we always play for late game we always scale but I think this bit was completely different, and I think it's something we learned during when we scrimmed against like T1 and RNG. I think if you are not one of the teams who scrim and practice against them, you wouldn't realize like how far you could push your limits. What do you mean by that? Give us give us a little bit more. I, there. I mean, I, I, I think we scrim we scrimmed so many games against T1, maybe twenty games or more. I think they showed us. How to destroy bad teams in like less than 20 minutes? I, I'm pretty sure there are three, four games where they just beat us with second hurl. They ended the game on second hurl, and we just. And you have used... access to this dark technology. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I watched. I watched the Mad Lions yeah. game, so yeah, I can confirm okay. that they do. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course, then we we just we just learned how they snowballed the game and. Basically, we used it, used it against the bad teams, and it works against every bad team so far. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to talk about your your boot camp because you go over there, and I heard Young Buck on the the LEC broadcast shouting you out in an inter- interview because you have all of the 
deep connections to a lot of the LPL teams in order to get some of these boot camps. So what was your experience going to Korea for this boot camp, and how were you able to get all of these really valuable scrims uh, during MSI? I think the main thing is, like most of the contacts, you either have to be able, you, you first you need, uh, like, you know, the WeChat account there, which is not possible to create one for the past few years, or... Or, and you need to be able to speak Chinese most of the time to contact the coaches there. And I think, like many of the staff, either the head coach or the person arranging scrims, I have like a personal relationship with them. So they're always willing to give us a scrim to, to like test the team out, to test us out. And of course, you know, I, I had to arrange everything like two months in advance. Because if you don't arrange anything like one, one or two months in advance, you're not getting any scrims. I heard that there were actually orgs that did go for those boot camps and they were there. And even though they've sort of tried to infer, like maybe they would get these gear, I've heard some of them got absolutely punked and just got nothing, basically. They just, they just took a trip, basically, and played solo queue. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're the only one who had good scrims because... <laughs> I love it, I love it. What a waste of oh, Gyo, Gyoto last week said TL had some, like, oh, actually yeah, got yeah, some sure. scrim brocks. But, but Team Liquid is a relatively known quantity with, yeah, sure. you know, famous I mean, players JJ. internationally. I'm going to help you. Yeah, and you have court. So it's not... You, you have, yeah, like, exactly. Bjergsen... Like, people are just going to play against you if you have Bjergsen and Whippo and some of these big names, right, that at least they've heard of or seen I, at Worlds. And then you I also have Core JJ to hook it up. What? I mean, not as, I mean, they just went there for ten days, while we went there for over a month and for a month, and we, I had scrims every single day against top teams. But of course, you know they have Core JJ, and they are a, a lot bigger brand. And I know most teams they couldn't find scrims because even BDS and G two they were asking me to hook them up. V two, the team that was yep. at MSI was asking you. To... <laughs> Even though, look, on some level, I get it. There's a camaraderie in esports. I have to say, mate, if someone said that to me for a rival team, I'd go go fuck yourself. I'll tell them to def- doubly not play. Didn't G two not renew your contract? No, they paid me out. Okay. Carlos <laughs> <laughs> okay. is actually truly mastered being an evil, wealthy, industrious. You just pay people off. Yeah. Pay off the women, pay the men off. Yeah. Well, well done. Yeah. Well, it, it is still, even though, I mean, they paid you out. That's good. Uh, but it is funny that they came crawling back after all, uh, after that, in order to ask you to hook them up for scrims at a tournament least, that Nelson. they were playing in. Do you at least like fucking draw it out? Like, oh, you must be pretty desperate to come with, to me for this. Do you at least do some of that? Oh, do you <laughs> along with you? For sure, it was just quite funny because I think it was the day before their semifinals, I think. And then I, I know that, you know, RNG was scrimming against EDG and E1 was scrimming us. So actually, there was no team left. <laughs> <laughs> is next level ball like G2's like but we're, we're in the semis of MSI though we need to actually try and win you're like listen excuse me uh, I'm gonna actually scrim T1 now if I have some time later maybe I'll let you scrim like you've owned them mate you've actually fucking cocked these guys you literally cocked G2 well done well done I mean some would say you did that whole year where you pretended you were gonna be a sick coach and bring all the LPL picks and they had reckless and they were gonna win and go to Worlds you sort of cocked up that year too but you got them two years in a row now that's two that's two that counts that's two a nice one different from inside the org and outside I like it well done well done 
All right, let's talk about some of the changes that you guys have made over the course of this year, because bringing Mickey X on was a really big shift. Were you surprised to see that Mickey X was just sitting there available basically for free uh, when it came to the start of this year? And what was the decision with an XL to bring him on board? Um, I mean, I was not surprised that he was there without a team because off-season happened like really, really quick in one or two days. and he was stuck without a team and i think the decision so basically when i joined excel i i I just told our gm that you know you should like it's better i mean i told our gm after week one it's cheaper to get mickey x right now compared to before summer because we're in the middle of the split it's only week one and g2 has wants to get rid of him because he's on the salary you know of course so you just get him right now is it will be the lowest price you can get and and he's Mickey X, so there's nothing to discuss there. Why did, where did you, want... you where, where did you develop this crazy eye test to know Mickey X could like <laughs> engage on champions like the order? <laughs> Fucking hell, you've got a deep knowledge of the game, Mel, so that's the thing I appreciate. You see things other people don't see. Fair play. You know. Obviously Mercer wasn't available, so you just had to go with Mickey at that point. What else could you do, right? Bloody hell. Maybe there's another rookie somewhere, you know, I didn't see. True. <laughs> I, I think some people were surprised. I, I mean, obviously, I think most people realize the value in bringing on a player like Mickey. But some people were surprised because at least Advian and Marcoon had come up together and had shown, a, sure. you know, they had immediate. Basically, last year they had immediately improved the XL roster and made a pretty vast and impactful difference. And so, considering that there could still be upside to Advian, and especially because the Advian and Marcoon were were used to working together, was there any doubt in your mind about Mickey, or is this something that you really, really wanted to get done? I mean, I think there's like two. Or oh, there, there are a few points, right? I think first point is, I think Mickey was is a lot better. I think he's, I think he's like a top three support, and it's very hard to reach his level of play. Doesn't matter, like doesn't matter who you are. And then secondly, we could get him for cheap. And thirdly, I think like Evan was had, had one year left. You know, it's not like this guy is a rookie with four year contract left. He, he is his last year, so I might as well. Get the best support at you. Makes sense. At least the best available one. Yeah. With this, with this iteration of the roster, how much of your success right now do you think is the shift in the meta uh, versus having more time to have synergy with this core group of players? Because you did, like you said, mix it up kind of early on into the season. Now that you've had the boot camp, had an opportunity to retool things um, because. Or develop these players because at least Finn looks all, probably like this is the peak of his career in terms of his individual performance right now. Like, I think he's he's improved a lot. Like, he's not, I think, at the apex of, of top laners in Europe, but also that pool isn't, I would say the top lane pool in Europe isn't great at the moment. Like, a lot of the, the top laners don't look particularly strong on an individual level. Um, and... So how much of it is like the meta versus a lot of the improvements that you guys have been making over time? I mean, I, I don't think he has anything to do with the meta. I think if if teams watch T1 play in spring and how we play in summer, they, like, they be snowball, we snowball slower than them, but of course, it's still like at a very fast pace. And even after dispatch, there are d- different champions, but 
it's still the same game, you know? Like, the meta didn't affect on how you, can, like, how you can play the game, even though everyone says the game is slower, but we just showed everyone in LST how to end the game is extremely fast. And for Finn, I think he improved a lot in Korea, mainly because he had a lot of, you know, 1v1 practice with, like, you know, with Bin. We had we had our top lane and bot lane practice, like 1v1, 2v2s again, against T1 and RNG. So I think it was a good experience for them. Okay. Well, here's my question, right? Not based on the actual LEC game so far, based on scrims and what you think of the squad. Who do you actually think is the best LEC team? I think the best team by far is G2. I think they okay. play, they are more serious in scrims compared to stage. I think they're just trolling on stage, but still beating everyone. Do you think so, it says anything about their... Like, on paper, obviously the year you were there, everyone thought it was going to be the super team because it was reckless, etc. What do you think is different about the G2 squad now to the old one? What's I, I the think, biggest difference? I think it's just Caps and Yankos are a lot happier. So they're just playing better. I think that there's nothing. there's no other reason. Yankos definitely looks like he's fucking smurfing so far. He's having a fucking six split, isn't he? Yeah, I, I just met him a few days ago. He was really happy. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can say that the bot lane this year, on on paper at least, is was better than you know Rekas oh, no. and Mickey individually. But no, of course they were not. Yeah, they were happier, and Caps is playing like ten times better. I mean, your only loss so far this season is to G2, where Caps just basically popped off on Ari and ruined the game. Um, it it really slowed down the way that you guys have liked to play because you've been translating a lot, like you've been making very good cross map plays and grouping up overall. And you know, I think we've seen you when you when you talk about the way that you play as similar to T1. Like I've been impressed with the way that you've like punished bad teleports in game in terms of cross mapping and made a very aggressive plays even with i guess like more passive champions or scaling champions like yumi which is a pick that you guys have prioritized very highly and i think in the mad lines game you saw some of the strength of using that yumi pick in terms of early tower dives as well so it seems like you guys are kind of following the t1 playbook but you're doing it with some slightly different champions and different approaches but you it, conceptually i can see what you're doing when it comes to the game yeah i think like how we snowball the game it's we we just learned from T1, but of course we had different ideas in draft, and also like how we close out mid to late game more clean uh, cleanly. I think it's something we learned against when we scrim Chinese teams because I think the issue we faced when we were in Korea was against against T1. It was we could most of the times we couldn't stop them having a 7k goal lead at 14 minutes because their top lane was just too good. I think he's the best player in the world. And but against like Chinese teams, we could be seven k up, and we still cannot win the team fight. And from we learned like how our positioning is important, and how to abuse enemies' positional mistakes in team fights. Have you been watching any T one so far this split? I'm curious. Uh, this split we didn't didn't really watch. I didn't really watch. Because like the, uh, speaking of Zayas, uh, they've been. At MSI as well, but this split also, they've been really leaning on him in terms of carry performances, and he's providing, like, as a top laner, like 30% of his team's damage right now. Um, and he's kind of been the rock that they've built this year's iteration of the roster around. 
uh, and it's been really successful. But it, I, I guess we haven't obviously we haven't seen the same stuff with you guys and Finn so far. Uh, you guys have been more focused on Patrick and the and the bottom side of the map, providing that carry potential. Um, is is this something that you guys have had to move, or an intentional decision that you've made? Uh, I I would say so, but I mean also from like some of the the T one games, sometimes they they focus more on bot side depending on draft of course, but and at least for us that is our strength and that is just something we just have to play towards too. And also you know it's just easier to win through bot lane. Are you? Are you concerned, like, if some of these champion picks, because you guys have been playing in, we've only seen five games, and obviously you have a wealth of scrims to draw from, but we've seen a pretty similar style in your approach so far, which has been, like, a priority for Markoon on being active on the map really early on. Uh, Nuke Duck has played TF, Ari, and Lissandra, so wanting to roam into the side lanes and have these, these pressure games early, but... For the most part, you know, four of four of your players have only played three different champions, and then Patrick has played a different AD carry in every single game that you've played. But it seems like there has been emphasis on Patrick scaling, Patrick doing all of these damage, or you guys making very aggressive dives with Patrick in, in the bot side, or if he swaps into top, wherever he is, basically, on the map. Um, do you feel like you have a diversity of play styles that you haven't showcased, and you're just running this because you can run enough iterations of this kind of composition that it just works no matter what, and it operates in kind of the same way with a variety of different champions? Or do you do you feel like you have a depth that you haven't shown off yet? I think we can just play the way we play with, with any champion. So it doesn't really matter if the champion picks change throughout the split. It doesn't affect anything at all. Being as you just obviously played them in the epic fucking chrono broken game that we just referred to earlier, right? What do you actually think of the Vitality squad? Like, what's your diagnosis of this team? Like, I've noticed the vibe I'm getting from talking to people in the scene. It's not just the things they've said publicly. A lot of people are out on this squad and don't think it's very good, basically. Like, you, is there is there hope for the Vitality team? Can they get it together, Nelson? I mean, I, I don't want to, like, specifically flame them, but I think... I'll do it. It's okay. Like, <laughs> I right. think the only you're not feeling well. I think only only G two us and Mad Lions have any clue on how to play early and early and mid game, and the rest of the and and Rogue Rogue plays like slightly differently, but I think like the other six teams, they they don't have a clue. Because okay. obviously, Rogue's the team you're going to play next, and they they have looked yeah. a bit suspect at the beginning of the split, right? Let, let let me provide an example from literally the game that the the second game uh, that Vitality played against uh, against Excel. So first off, they got completely clowned in the first game. They got you know remade, but a really prime example of this was a sequence that happened around the Rift Heralds within the second game that they played, which is first off like. Basically, they gave up almost every objective for free. Uh, but the what I have been harping on this entire year in terms of vitality is that it appears that nobody actually knows what the fuck is going on on other parts of the map on vitality to the degree that they do not seem to communicate with each other ever. And I was, I, I, I said last week that I was slightly encouraged because for the first time against Misfits, which is obviously not high praise, right? We had seen what appeared to be Haru, Perks, and Alfari coordinating on Volibear invades in a way that made me hopeful. 
And then I watched these Excel versus Vitality games, and my hope was then destroyed because it just, I think that was a fluke in one game because I watched this sequence of events where Perks is playing Azir. He uses his ultimate very aggressively uh, in the mid lane in order to facilitate a trade with Nuke Duck on Ari. Nuke Duck doesn't use his ultimate, so he's sitting on this ult, right? And then we see what happens in the top side, which is Alfari sees the opportunity in the Gwen Nar matchup to try for an all in. Okay, Finn on Nar runs down into the river. They do not know at all, okay, where Markun is in this game on Viego. And so they run into the river. Haru is late being into the river as well, right? So we see the all in, and it ends up that. Marcoon's already there on the Viego, and Finn dies, right? And so Haru then has to flash in as Wukong and then use his ultimate in order to pick up the kill onto Finn at this point in time. But then Marcoon is Viego, so the resets, he's already like Gwen. And then when Perks and Nuke Duck shows up, Nuke Duck's able to show up faster because Nuke Duck still has Spirit Rush on Ari. And they're trying to do this fight where they don't know where the jungler is. In a pure 1v1, of course we're going to see Alfari win that matchup. But then what happens is they they don't communicate that the Azir ult is down and the Ari ult is still up. So obviously Ari can rotate faster in like a neutral wave state in mid lane. And then they commit a fucking Wukong ult and flash to picking up a kill. And then we just see oh, yeah. a bunch of True. resets coming in from the Viego. So like the yeah. planning around this entire sequence from Vitality is just terrible. And and then they lose Rift Herald, of course. Like you know, the, so they lose the objective also. And I just don't understand why this team makes such terrible decisions or sequences of decisions that are so easily communicated between players. I think mainly like they play very individualistic. Like they just play for themselves without care of what their teammates are doing. But for jungler, I think he he's just getting destroyed by Markun in both games and yep. he, he will always be late because he cannot be the proactive one because if he meets Markun anywhere in the river he'll just die because he's just so far behind because he played early game extremely bad so I mean of course that's the issue with his own pathing which, which has been very lackluster throughout like so far but for the other players I think they were just they are just hyper focused on lane and not the big picture you know? What I hate about this Vitality squad as well, being so fucking whack compared to the names, is it's allowed all these morons who were just hating on perks on Cloud9 to, like, keep the narrative going where it doesn't even make any sense. Like, I don't know if you saw this in spring. They're all just like, Lob, yeah, perks is fucking washed. Like, he's probably the best player on the bloody team. Like, what are you talking about? He does his job fine. And most of the games I watch, he's, like, ahead. He's CSing fine. He's getting kills. Like, he can't 1v9 the game, guys. So it's like, There was never even his style of play anyway, for fuck's sake. Like, what do you think on perks? I mean, I think in spring, he was the second best mid laner in, in LEC. Especially his Oriana game against uh, uh, Caps. Like, it stands out in my mind. But I think this split, I'm not sure what's happening. It feels the way he plays more impatient or very, or like he's frustrated, frustrated. But I'm not sure what's happening with the team from the outside, you know? I, mean, he... I asked this earlier, but I'll go on, Monty. No, I was going to say, he looked very frustrated in the game that he played against you. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made the, the like, Hail Mary play that he did, right? I think That's e a... Even against Mad Lions, you know, like, when Metalize were doing Baron and he was just hitting people on Azir, it just didn't make sense. 
What about this then? Like I said before, the next team you play, it's actually the only top team you have yet to play is Rogue. But obviously Rogue's actually started kind of a bit dodgy in the split. Like if people don't know, for a normal team, it's fine to be three and two. It's not the end of the world. Rogue is a team that, that only ever loses four or five games in entire splits. Like it's actually really bizarre for this team to start the split so shitty. So is this indicative? You implied earlier, Nelson, that you didn't put them in your initial group of teams who play the right way, but you had them as sort of like, maybe they sort of play correctly in the meta? I think they just have a different way of handling like mid-game. I, I think G2 knows how we play and they also know how to execute it. And Mad Lions have a very similar style to us, but Rogue just plays in a different way. But I think their early and mid-game fundamentals are are still very solid. What do you think of should, the yeah. Malrang aspect? Like, is it still working? I think it's I think it's still working as long as he has the laners he has. You know, you, you still have Larson, you still have uh, Trimby and Comp. I think you still can play that way. Okay. They are just like Is a it? like opposite version of G two. You know, where G two is like think stronger. At the end of the split, they'll be they like essentially. It sounds like you're a bit down on them, but they're not as good this split though. No, I think they are still as good this split, but I just can they win the split? I still think G two is better. Okay. I, mean, I think the competition is obviously leveled up, right? It, it is a lot tougher. Like, LEC is, is having a much better split than they did last time around, where a lot of the teams looked like they were not competitive. I mean, G2 started off really rough before eventually winning. Um, so it just, Excel obviously doing a lot better as well. So I think that part of Rogue can't be viewed in isolation, right? Because they themselves are going to have probably a harder time, especially because they started their first week was against Fnatic, G2, and Mad Lions. Like they had a really fucking hard schedule. And then, I mean, they they won both of their games this week. So they're kind of getting right back into it. And after they pulled off the miracle win against Mad Lions, they technically have a winning record. So I think by the time they finish the second round Robin, they're not going to be favorites against XL. But beyond that, in the next few weeks, like they play SK, Vitality, and BDS. Those are three of their next four games, all of which should be very winnable. So are we really going to be knocking this team if at the end of the next few weeks we come back and they're six and three? Right. Yeah, I think the one thing they don't do is win. Like it's only about winning for Rogue. It's not about I mean, being a good think, team, is it? You know. I, I think they were unlucky to lose against Fnatic. Like they were playing well and they made one mistake and lost yeah. Baron. And of course, you know they shouldn't have beaten Mad Lions, but it, even out, even out in the end. True. What about the aforementioned Fnatic then? What do you, what do you, where are you at on this roster? I, I'm not sure what's happening with them. It feels. It just looks like everyone is just doing their own thing you know like up like upset is disconnected from his team and hill is saying is the basically the matter right now doesn't fit him because it's a lot of mages and then humanoid is trying to carry games on his own and wonder is trying to carry games on his own I don't know if you're it's sure, weird like, how he said that, isn't it? Notice there, Monty, how he said that Hillisang, who everyone would say is like the greatest European support, blah, blah, blah. It's not really his meta, but I'm told good players, the one defining factor is adaptability. So I just do to you guys what everyone does to me all day long with my favorite players. Go on then. Well, obviously you should play, can't even adapt, can't even play the, can't even play League of Legends, Hillisang. Like, no, unsurprisingly, he's amazing on certain things, not on others, like every other bloody player in the world. We get, Yeah, we get it. We get it. I think the the question for me with Fnatic is that they've never really 
solved this entire year the Razork integration issue that they've had, where he's never really seemed like he was on the same page at the, as the rest of his teammates at any point in time, which is surprising considering that he was a hot commodity in the offseason and coming off. And I think he's still an individually good player, but the synergy issues that this roster has are, are concerning. Uh, especially given this length of time that they've had in order to gel. You would think that Razork would be fully integrated by now, and I just don't think it's ever going to happen if it hasn't already happened. You think that have they got sort of issues in that sense that's at Nelson? Like, because essentially, like they have an over split now. Fundamentally, the teams never looked super coherent. Like, they have mega players, obviously, these players can pop off, but they've never looked like the super dangerous, like this team's amazing. What a unit. Like, they've never really had that in Fnatic. I think Razorok's play in Fnatic seems like he's just clueless on what to do. I think he's probably not the correct jungler for them. And I don't I don't think that he can fix it or they can fix the issue. They'll Basically, probably have to wait for next year. Basically, the vibe I get is, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with his skills. I just get the vibe, like, in terms of mentality, I think it's a terrible personality balance in the squad. Because in their squad, like, I get the vibe that, like, in his, if I had to guess in Misfits, remember he was playing with a bunch of rookies, like inexperienced, but I bet he just did whatever he wanted in that team. Look like in that team, he could just have total agency. In this team, right, even before you've done anything as a jungler, you have to figure out what the fuck is Humanoid doing? Where's Zillasang roaming to? Like, this is a really hard team to play in. It's not easy. It's not fucking jungling by numbers. It is a really difficult team to be a jungler in. What type of jungler would they need in this team, do you think, Nelson, to be to, to make them legit, to make them really good? Oh, they just need Yankos. <laughs> I think Yankos or Malrang, like either one of these two. I think those Includes, two are like perfect fit for they him. Have to, people have their own initiative, basically. No, like people who are willing to sacrifice to help right, their teammate. Be the dog, and, right? Okay. And and they know how to be the dog, you know. Like there you go. It, it looks like Razor doesn't doesn't know how to. So yeah. Okay. Do I, I talk funny when it's silent? So you you love you love you love the the awkward love them awkward silence. silence. Yeah, use it uh, to my advantage. I want to go. I want to go back and talk about uh, some of the the patch changes that you I'm sure think are are overwrought because people have been in general play, around the world playing slower as a result of the durability changes, as a result of the the tower buffs. Maybe not diving as much, but we haven't really seen any lessening of tower diving in LPL and with Excel as well, you guys are still really aggressive in, in that regard and have been very successful. Do you think this is a psychological thing that has happened to a lot of regions when it comes, or a lot of teams and regions when it comes to these changes that they're just more reluctant to pull off these plays, even though they're still perfectly doable, it would seem. I mean, I'm pretty sure we did some calculations that most champions are like 15 to 20%, like harder to kill. So basically, your execution on dives has to be more on point. Sure. But what's some good examples of ones where this is like a big difference? Do you think? If like if someone was a casual fan, what's like an example of a lane or a champion setup that would make like it's, you can't just gank this guy anymore? Or, or I mean, it could be something like, like let's say, let's say Oriana, right? So ba okay. basically, like everyone's everyone's like everyone's HP armor and MR is increased. But they didn't increase your mana pool, so you you might not have enough mana to kill the champion. Right, again. and this will right. affect like 
like what champions are being played. Yeah, but of dives, course. Especially yeah. now, it seems like mid lane is going to have to have loads of AP. Yeah. Yeah, and but dives, I think it's it's just it's still about laning, like whether they took bad trades or not, and then their jungle pathing. Whether if the jungle is on the, on the opposite side and you took a bad trade, then you still get dives because LPL was playing on an older patch where the towers had even more damage and they are still diving. So there's yep. there is a change for sure, but basically it raised the skill floor, I guess, for diving. Yeah, that's one way to say it made it harder. <laughs> yeah, you made it harder. Yep. <laughs> sure. I want to. I want to get your take on something else, Nelson, because there has been an aspect of the the durability changes that I think really I haven't seen it discussed anywhere, but I think is very interesting, which is that because champions are generally harder to kill now, and because team fights tend to drag on for longer, um, and one one part of this is that cleaning up a team fight. So at the very end, when one team has won a team fight and maybe two players of the losing team are running away from an objective, right? That you're fighting right there. A mistake that I've seen pretty consistently has been attempting to chase down those players and get the kills. And if these players escape, or if you use too much time, even if you do get the kill, we've seen high level teams, and this has been really prevalent in T1's games, this split, which I know you haven't seen in particular. Um, even if that objective is taken, the team that lost the fight will have the time to respawn, come back, and then take like a Baron off of a dragon fight, which they wouldn't have been able to do before because the fight would have been cleaned up like a yes. lot faster uh, than it was previously. Have you had to change anything within your team or if you noticed a meta shift where you just need you you need to tell your players like, don't bother chasing these kills down now because in the 15 seconds it takes to kill them, their team's going to be almost up. We're still going to have to recall to buy items after winning this fight. We're not going to have key ultimates and abilities up because we use them to chase these players down. And then they're going to be able to come back onto the map. Because I think that's been a really key point at, at high-level games where I see teams over-committing resources to getting meaningless kills and then getting clapped back and losing important objectives on the respawn. I mean, I don't. I don't think the new patch had any effect on this. Like, like yes, for sure. Maybe some champions don't die or they escape with like you know 200 health. But I think it's just a matter of like discipline, you know, because I'm pretty sure this concept was taught or spoken about when I was in LPL in like 2019. So there's like no no difference. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not. <laughs> I, I well, okay. I do disagree that there isn't a difference on this patch just because it does take longer, right? If you don't change respawn timers and team fights take longer and it makes it easier to escape or drag out the end of a fight. Like obviously it's always been a thing as to what, how many resources and how much time you commit in terms of cleanup. But I just feel like Teams haven't fully adapted to this aspect yet, which is making certain teams really stand out in this regard. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm also like not too sure what to say because <laughs> the basic idea is like you have to see the death timers of those people who are, who are already yeah. dead, and then from there you can decide whether how much time you can spend to chase someone. Because at, at least for us, you know, we have. Like but that, that time has changed, and I think players aren't used to that yet. Like, the amount of time it will take them, the judgment that you make in that moment where you would have had enough time before means you don't have enough time now, is my point. No, I mean, if because when the enemy dies, you can see the death timer, and there is, like, a specific number or a spe spe specific amount of time you need to have sure. before before 20 minutes or after 20 minutes because the, sure. 
your movement speed is different than yep. like let's say f- the uh, amount of time you have to like try and chase the enemy and if you can't you just instantly base and you will still have tempo of or control of the map and that is is just something which top the top teams know they know like how many seconds I have to chase, you know, like the exact number. Let's say maybe I have like ten, only ten seconds to chase. But so that number. What my point seconds. is, is that number has changed because if you no. think you can, no, it has. That, <laughs> I mean, that, no, the, the number hasn't changed because it doesn't matter how how tanky they are. It's how long it takes for you to walk from the base to the mid lane. The movement speed. The is the of the map. Yeah, yeah okay. movement yeah, speed is so, still the same. So let me let me explain why why it, why I think it's changed. So because somebody is tankier you may go after this kill in this way and not secure it and then use mm-hmm. a cooldown like an ultimate mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a summoner spell in order to attempt to secure this kill. Now you still might break off at the right time, but they live in this scenario because you're not used to the same breakpoints. That's the, the point the same, I make. But it takes more time because you have to kill them. It takes longer or to you kill have them. You use resources that you wouldn't use before. It or you you like they escape That's anyway. Efficient. Yes, exactly. Like you, yeah, it's it's less efficient in order to kill them. Like you may chase after them, but this time they don't die because they're tankier. And now you're dealing with a full strength team coming at you as opposed to a team that's a player down who has just been able to base and buy. That's my point. Oh, okay, I I understand what you mean. Right. I think remember, the key thing to remember, guys, is Nelson's whole style is to be understated. So the way he flames is he doesn't go like TSM shit. He goes like there are two good teams in the LCS and Cloud Nine's one of them. And you're like, <laughs> and then it's like it's like that that moment is when people think, whoa, it's like you, you're mathematically figuring out how did he flame him though? Like the numbers mason. Like it's a, so anyway. Also, you do notice. This is why I actually wonder. I wonder how much of this style of Nelson stars actually what he does as coaching. Because imagine being coached by him. He's like, look, in the game, all you had to do was zone faker and kill him. It's like, that's really hard. <laughs> I just told you, you zone him and you kill him. It's like, well, I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds fucking easy, right? <laughs> you killed it like that. <laughs> Are you always so understated, Nelson? I mean... <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's not the way I coach, but... No, I don't. Some would say it was a purely fictional reenactment. That's how I don't have cameras in there. It's just speculation, wasn't it? Just a fucking skit. Don't worry about it. But it's like, to, to Monty's point, like, yeah, I understand what you mean. And at least for many of the teams, they have a second plan on what to do when, like, you know, you don't get a kill and you still have to waste time to base, you know, and, or you're like, you overextended or you overstayed and... You probably have to, you know, give up a wave or give up control on one side of the map to regain control again as a team. So, by the like, way, the are like the same. by the way, randomly, Monty, I made that classic mistake where I like, saw Twitch chat for a second, and there was a person in Twitch chat actually wrote. He goes like, "Moving on, maybe because this topic, you seem bad." Like. Just be fully aware you aren't the director of the show or the producer. And in no way will we move on the conversation now because you suggested it. Like, no, no, you I, actually I, have absolutely left reality. If you imagine you are now going to dictate was, whether the show moves on. I mean, you just extended this boring topic 10 seconds more to roast you. Go on there, Monty. Come on. It, it, there was actually a subtlety to that discussion that we it took a while oh, to get into. Yeah, we're trying to get to the key point. Exactly. Yes. What's the subtlety there? I just, uh, love, I just love the fucking the Tyler One fans of the world. Like, why isn't what I want being done though? I'm going to donate. Move on the topic. Nelson's had enough. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, guys? Anyway. I, I, I want you as a coach and as an enthusiast and like somebody who constantly is in touch with a lot of the other elite coaches in the world discussing these issues. What do you think like the three biggest 
things that LEC teams have to learn from like LPL or LCK teams? Like, what do you think are the three biggest lessons that you think are not integrated right now very well into the LEC? I think it's a good jumping off point for a conversation about how teams are flawed in these ways or which specific teams have these flaws. I mean, in my mind, it's only two things right now, but right? I can give like some examples. Simplifies the conversation. <laughs> yeah. It, it, or, I mean, you, you, I could say three, like basically, at least from what, what we learned is laning phase. I think laning phase, it's com compared to the best Asian players, there is still a humongous gap. And I'm not sure if it's possible to fix this. As in, even if we go to the top end, even if we take like the fucking capsules and humanoids of the world, there even there's a gap with them. Do you think, or just generally? I think it's mainly top lane. I think. Oh, okay. But I, but I'm not so sure because like MSI, it was a like a lot of mid lane champions were very utility based. It's not like I'm playing Oriana against Victor. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's Galio. It's it's TF, and then yeah, yeah. there's not too much. Or most of the Asian players are not playing for like a lane gap, they're playing to help their team. But I think the biggest difference you can see is from top lane. I think it's I think top laners in the West are just extremely far behind. I think our bot lanes are fine and are comparable to the best, I would say. I think the current bot lanes are probably the most overrated. I mean, in terms of laning skill. In terms of LEC, it ain't a great sign that like Broken Blade was arguably the best top laner in the fucking split. And then when you got to MSI, it looked fucking average, if not bad. It was kind of but bad. I, I, I mean, you can put any top laner from the West there and they'll they do worse than him, I think. They'll get rolled. Yeah, they'll all get destroyed. And Why, why, why top lane in particular? Uh, why, why is this position struggling so much in the west is it just the quality of solo queue with the top lane is it that top lane changes the most from solo queue to being in a professional team that you have to learn additional things in order to play the role properly i think the amount of competition you have and the quality of competition you have right so if you look at asia like the lck teams can scream lpl teams so it's like you know the shy or nagari or zeus or you know flandre they're like so many and all of them are just better and in the West, I mean, there's there's barely anyone I could say could beat. Like I could say that yeah, maybe Broken Blade can beat Finn consistently, but I can't say that for anyone else. Okay. And I think that's the difference, you know, because you are you get challenged every day when you're scrimming in Korea, but that's not the case here, and you will get some a lot of bad habits, especially in lane. And I think the other thing which is different. Which I mean, I could say we we learned from RNG. It's how to minimize minim, minimize risk. Like there are some parts or or some place which they don't make at all because there's a chance to go to go wrong. There's always a chance to go wrong, and if if they die there, let's say maybe they lose Elder or they lose Baron, and those are the things which they are very disciplined in. And it's not some it's and it's something which I don't see the LEC teams like implementing. It was also amazing playing from behind RNG with MSI. They were yep. fucking sick, mate. It was amazing. I, you you mentioned earlier that in your time in Korea you learned really two things, which is like how to snowball the game early from T one and then how to team fight late from the LPL teams. Mm -hmm. What do the LPL teams do in terms of comms and their setup? 
that you guys have learned from? Because team fights change composition to composition, depends on you know, your composition, how it operates, how it interacts with the enemy team's composition. Is there like a, a checklist in comms that they go through or a way that you've taught your players in order to approach the theory of team fighting with their group of champions against the enemy team's group of champions? The main issue, or I mean, the main point I when I was in China is that I didn't have to do anything. I mean, I didn't have to do it. The players just know. So <laughs> there's nothing to do. <laughs> you just need to have a good draft for them. And like, let's say like, uh, let's say Wayward or Fondre, they just know what to do. They know they know what's a winning fight. And as long as your team listens, then then you'll win the fight. If the enemy overextends, like even one step, you know. Is that just something that comes from the more competitive scrim environment, or were there things that the coaches were doing with them in order to facilitate their knowledge? Because it feels like you could, it's really hard to identify. I've always wondered this from a coaching perspective. And when I think about how I might coach in kind of the modern day of League of Legends or what I think good ideas might be, um, there is. I'm curious if anybody does this, if there's an element to kind of shadow boxing with your players and like doing drills where you set out two different compositions that they may not have seen before and have them like quickly react to how they would approach that situation if they were on each of the teams. That way they're they're faster at identifying win conditions with compositions or in terms of matchups when they hit the rift without having to play through an entire game with that composition. Like, do you run these kind of like flashcard drills or anything like that? I know they don't exist. I think all these drills or blitz scrim stuff like that, they don't exist in China. I think you have to understand just, Nelson's just going to go into grind. like exactly, he's going to you just play scrim, just <laughs> you play more scrim. <laughs> you have to, yeah, I want to ask this then. What about this, Nelson? If I somehow snuck into an LPL, like a top team, let's say it's an RNG or like a, a really good EDG to top teams, right? If I snuck into their room and like recorded what their practice is like and I compared it to what like an LEC team's like, is actually like the things they're talking about, is it fundamentally different? Are they like way more on like the waves and stuff? Do they talk about that in the West and the players' eyes just glaze over? Because I know like, but I've known people like Kelsey, it's ever been like in coaching staff. I got the vibe, like a lot of the Western stuff, you are being drilled with it. It's just they're fucking, they're not listening or they don't understand it or they get a little bit of it and you just keep drilling them a week after week after week and just hoping it stays in there. What would the difference be, do you think, if I could see what a, a session's like in LPL in comparison? I would say like most of the concepts are already learned or have been tried before and they tested and they know it works. It's just that the, the things that the top LPL teams are pushing for is the reaction time like how fast you can identify a certain scenario or a certain map state and you need to know what you can do and i think this is something eu is also like far behind teams take too long to notice what the enemy team is doing and they take too long to make the correct play like maybe i need like four or five seconds to to see that the enemy is inting and sometimes the window is gone but the chinese teams they just pull the trigger instantly Basically, Monty, the analogy is in the West, where the coaching sessions like, yay, the 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 cylinder does go through the circle, yay! Everyone. <laughs> in in LPL, it's like fucking when they play Tetris, you know, when those like high speed players like <laughs> at the end they're like you one second off, like oh, I'm so sorry, coaching. I will play three times more today. Good. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's, it's you. It's even worse than that. It's some of these like LCS games that I watch. They've got like the cylinder and then they're like, 
the square hole? He's like hammering at it for a while for like 15 minutes. They're like, the star shaped hole? They're just like hammering away at that. And then they like accidentally knock it into the circle shaped hole at the end. Like that's, that's how a lot of these games feel. The joke would be that in LCS, every single block, none of them are cylinder shaped, but they just smash all the edges off until it eventually fits in the cylinder hole. And whoever gets it in at the end, that's the stage win the game. That's the LCS Because I've always wondered cynically, by the way, like, Remember, back in the day, League of Legends used to be wide open. You could stall in a base forever. You could stay on the map forever. You could put infinite wards, in theory. You could have all the vision. You could do anything in the game. And then they just started making the game like as though it was genuinely like the fucking Microsoft like paperclip pops up. Like, oh, I see you having a hard time closing this one out. Thought about going to Baron. Like, this is getting too <laughs> ridiculous. And the joke is, Monty, the more they dumb the game down... It hasn't helped any win. They're even worse than it. You can make the game as brain dead as possible. And then they're like, but I only have half an IQ. I like, go, oh, give me a help, help, help. Clippy, Clippy just pops up with the word bubble. Uh, I see you have trouble closing games. Have you tried selecting a full scaling composition and waiting for objective bounties? The other team will throw eventually. <laughs> and then they, and then, they, then they just click OK. But when they go to Worlds and they pick Twitch Rakan, they just get destroyed level one and the game is over. <laughs> what are you are you saying Bjergsen picking Zillion mid wasn't good? I, I'm confused. <laughs> Here's what would be my dream. Like cause it because it actually would show what a sham League of Legends, the esport, like the global ecosystem is Monty. All I would need is this. When everyone goes to that Korean boot camp, assume it's in Korea, when it's like worlds, at the end of the first week of all scrims, just let me put like a truth serum into all the Western players and I just ask a simple series of questions. Do you think you you can win i i can you do anything like the, if you just knew that before they even play the first game half the players morale is just crushed from like the three weeks it being in like solo queue put scrims like it's if you if you just knew the stories like the maddest ones ever i always think monty is you know the stories where you've heard that like before they even play a game like some top european players already going to change to this team it's like and then we have to come on broadcast and be like right now Put on the makeup. Let's sell to the fans that there's going to be games. There's going to be a great tournament. Like, it's just nonsense, isn't it? It's like, it's fucking WWE, but in the bad way. It's the fucking jobbers. It's garbage, isn't it? Like, what? Right, at least at least WWE is uh, mostly competitive because it's staged to exactly. be entertaining, right? Like, yes. Uh, it it is super fun to watch the LCS casters roll out and then try and lie about their teams or just have put the blinders on of just literally not watching any other region so they can delude themselves into thinking that it's going to be competitive or that their teams aren't seriously flawed in, in a certain way. Although I think most of the LCS people have just basically given up on watching any other region at this point in time because it takes too much effort. So that's as far as I can tell from watching the actual broadcast. Like, I do get sort of a fucked up schadenfreude when the LCS casters on Worlds start talking about picks and I'm like, bro, I was actually watching the LPL. They play that all the time. But then they think it's like, so like, oh, what is this? Is this a new pick coming to the match? It's like, oh, you've only watched LCS. You've given it away. You've given it away. Like, oh, those are the best ones, mate. Because obviously they do that classic thing, which this is why, this is also, by the way, why in the modern day, you should just own it that you only watch your region or you watch just LCK in your region. Because in the 
the modern day, there are just too many LPL games. You won't even you won't even be able to feign that you watch it. There's too many. You, it's not that you didn't watch it. It's that you didn't watch ninety percent of the games. What you're trying to talk about, like remember in the back in the day, like if you watch LCS, the joke is I can keep on LCS. I don't have to watch the top five teams. That's it. Even then, not even all those <laughs> games. I don't have to watch the top. I don't have to watch the fifth best team play TSM at the bottom of the league. Well, I don't have to. So the difference is to be to really act, like speak authoritatively about those other regions. You got to live those regions, guys. Oh. You can't just fall it in. You can't do it. You can't do Absol- it. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Like I watch so many League of Legends games a week right now, and even then, because I'm doing the the LCK show with Wolf, like most of the Asian games I watch are LCK, and I'll I'll watch the good matches in LPL. But I have to talk to LPL experts like Dom to get like the niche picks that picks that are coming in of games that you know I try and go over the scoreboard so I at least kind of know what's being picked generally. But I you know if if I wasn't talking to these people, like I wouldn't know about some of the the weirder shit that's happening in the lower level games that might actually have some validity to it um because it's impossible to watch basically everything that goes on in the world right now there are simply too many so seven days a week of fucking lpl five days a week of lck it's ridiculous i mean there's so many games i'm gonna yeah, question think, nelson go on go on what are you gonna oh, say yeah i mean i think there's there's like too many games to watch it's not possible for one coach or even two coaches to watch all the games nelson like I said, you know, even Dom, like people like Dom and Cadrill who are co-streaming a lot of these LCK and L- L- like, uh, you know, LPL games like Dom is co-streaming LEC, uh, L- like uh, LCS, LPL, and he's watching like some of the more important games, at least from LCK, generally speaking. He, I mean, he's already streaming w- way too much, right? Like it's crazy. And he is doing it live, which is like really inefficient uh, because Obviously, like you don't have <laughs> watching live is fucking horrible. Uh, if you know what you're looking at, like, like what you're looking for in games, you can go through much faster. You can cut out all the breaks, like everything like that, right? Um, you can take one look at champ select of one frame of the final thing before they actually swap champions. And be like, okay, I generally understand. I don't have to go through like six minutes of them like trading back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. You save hours and hours and hours of time. But even if you are doing it strictly on VODs, which is mostly what I do. I can't watch all the fucking LPL games. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Like it's not, even if it is your full-time job or you are a full-time streamer, like I will dominate, you cannot plow through every professional game of League of Legends. Like that is, that is, in, that is heinous. Actually. By the way, I even think, even though it's just a pure conspiracy theory of my own, I even low-key think that's one of the reasons why all these shill broadcast talent keep telling us in the West, like, no, no, we shouldn't have best of threes. Because they just know that, like, mate, that, that just double their workload. Like, they're just done at that point. By the way, the DLCS <laughs> and LEC's best of three, none of these guys better ever comment on LCK and LPL again. You ain't watching, mate. Like, you haven't even got time to watch that shit. Go and watch your shitty little CLG versus FlyQuest game and shut the fuck up. So, okay, bringing it back to the actual lec though nelson i've got a question for you within the mix of all the mess of the things going on a fanatic one player i want to ask you about is obviously humanoid because mate his stock could not have been higher at the end of mad lions he looked amazing everyone was basically prisms like the new caps but with like perks elements of leadership and maybe he's the reason the jungle and supports me everyone he was praised to the heavens what have you actually thought of him in the fanatic team i mean he looked very disjointed from his his jungle and I can't say for sure whether it's his issue or the jungler's issue. Yeah, but, of course. But he didn't seem to have, like, he didn't seem to perform this badly on Bad Lions. So uh, for me, I would give him the benefit of the doubt. I still think he can be one of the best 
he still can be the second best mid laner in LEC, but he definitely he's definitely not on that level right now. And date. Are there any LEC teams that you think are being underrated by the fans? Uh, it would be hard to imagine, uh, considering that it. Huh. I think. Sorry. I think Astral Astralis is. Okay. Uh, they are like fifth best, right? I think they are the fifth best team right now. How have they done it though? How because a lot of people are flaming this roster. How have they done it? You think? What? What? How, what are they good at? I think they have. They have a generally. Good drafts, I think. I think adding Vizichachi, they added a short caller. And I think Xerxes is actually one of the top junglers in the league. I would say, let me see, I would say top four, top four jungler in the league. And I think Kobe has been performing extremely well this split. Do you think that Vizichachi's really questionable laning phase is worth the price of having him as a shot caller within the roster? I think it doesn't matter because he's a, just a tank player. If he plays tanks, it doesn't matter. About it doesn't matter too much on his laning phase. What if he plays the, GP? Ah, uh, yeah. Then that's on, <laughs> then, then, he's not, then he's not a tank. <laughs> then, then then that's a different issue. But if he's on a tank and he goes zero two, I don't think you really care because he will carry the game for his team or he will lead his team to victory. And I think that is something very scary about Astralis because they play cop. Or at least the way they draft for top is completely different from every other team, and it's just a different way, a different preparation. That is a cool angle. I have to say, not many teams do that. Like, if you're a, a bottom feeder, try and get an established shot caller. Like that could make up for so many of the other aspects. Like, especially if everyone else is going BDS style, just stacking like rookies. Like, have a player who actually knows how the game works. That could help. I mean. Yeah, I mean, they only have what one rookie, I think, which is mid lane. And yeah, I mean, I think he's like average, very average, but it d- doesn't matter. I think I think Kobe is performing extremely well, good enough to carry him and Xerxes as well. What do you think about the support they found, though? That's fucking ridiculous. Where have they found this guy? <laughs> I think they found him in the depth of uh, Korean Challenger. He's he really good. <laughs> I think there is. The reason, the reason why he seems good is just many EU supports are extremely bad at the game. Uh, see what I mean? I love his style, Monty. Because I always wonder where's his sentence going. It's like he, he can never just be like, yeah, he is good. He's like, he is not good. If he was playing better players, like, would he win? You got me on that one. You have seen checkmate. I can't, can't even reply to it. You have won me completely. Like, but how can I, he be good if no one is good? It's obviously like philosophy, <laughs> isn't it? Well, what's great about Nelson, it's like he's given hit me with Zen Kwans. And actually, I don't want him to explain, because I know it's the experience I have to go through to sort of formulate the question that within it lies the answer, because the answer was my own change, not an actual, you know, like, tangible answer. Probably similar to how it's being coached by this guy, but it's the same shit, but it's just your nisms all the time. Like, well, what's that mean? You figure it out. You figure it out. <laughs> I look. I I think we can't agree that Western supports are generally underwhelming. But considering this guy came out of fucking nowhere, uh, I I think that's what's surprising about his performance sure. is that he does look like he is he's 
I mean, he also has a flashy play style, right? Like when he makes he all the champions, you'd want to have the yeah. highlights on, of course. Yes. Right, of course. Yes. <laughs> so it's helping him. Like, yes. obviously, his value is going to be overinflated yeah. because people have a giant boner for ju- big pike plays, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> people love that shit. And it's like one of the more obvious ways that you can assert your dominance as a support player. And it's just one, it's also one of those feast or famine champions. Like, when it goes well, it goes really fucking well and you look like a god. And when it goes badly, you look like a complete moron. Um, so uh, there are caveats, but on the whole, I don't think that th- having a no name Korean player come into a roster and, and deliver this level of performance was an expectation, especially not one that was just dug up randomly by the worst team in the LEC last split. I, th- I think that definitely like, I would say he's like top above average, you know, maybe fifth place support or sixth place support. What do you think of this, Nelson? Because one point I've made on some of my shows, but no one else even seems to vibe with this. They just let me say the point, and then they go like, ah, and then move on there. I think it's a valid point, right? In the same way as the success of teams like the original Mad Lions squad coming from the ERLs, you know that era when it switched so that the new meta became everyone except the top teams just brings like gambles on rookies instead of getting the established talent in like the bottom teams. Do you think there's actually a world where after Malrang, after the Yongboon guy, do you think we'll actually get more Korean imports? Like, like for example, if what you're saying is accurate, like if certain positions suck, why don't I just gamble on a Korean guy from Solo Q? Why would I go and just get like the third best ERL top player or whatever? What do you think? I think it's better just to gamble on a random Korean player compared to an ERL player. I think in certain roles, if they are still in ERL, let's say as a top laner, they are not going to be better than Wonder even on his current form, which I don't think Wonder is playing extremely well now, but he's still like, you know, top three, top four in the EU. And that that ERL player is never going, like it's unlikely to be even better than Wonder. Like you might as well find a Korean player to flip because it, like Hirit was forever playing in Challenger series in Korea and he came to EU and was like top three top laner. Yeah, he looked good that summer spot for sure, yeah. Do you think it was a mistake to get rid of Hirit even though he did have a bad spring split? It seems like Misfits just completely gave up even though they were I'm not going to say good, but they were exciting in the way that they were coming back into these games and they were kind of an unexpected playoff team. They just ditched Hirit, which I thought was surprising when he could have just had a bad split. I'm not sure because from what I heard is he himself didn't want to stay anymore. So that's fair. I'm not sure what's the situation there. Yeah. You know what I love, by the way? What I realized now, Monty, is this is even the perfect moment to do a true Monty and Thorin summoning insight moment, which is this. It's to be incredibly self-indulgent and make a point that really probably isn't worth ma- making, but just to fuck with your own <laughs> fans and watch your show, not even sh- people who hate you. Because here's what I will say. This food for thought, if you're actually smart, might blow your mind. It might be like LSD dropped into like a fucking totally sober mind for 40 years. <laughs> Or you're an idiot and it'll just pass straight by. So here's the point I'll make. You know how fascinating it is to have someone like Nelson on the show where you can ask him questions like, what's it like in an LPL scrim? What sort of players are they thinking of picking up? How are the sort? You know how it gives you like all this inside info and you know things you can never know otherwise? Spoiler, that's what me and Monty have been doing for 10 years, you morons. So you know what you guys were going, they don't even know that. We've had people like Nelson the whole time, you idiot, now Rolodex is on our fucking Discord, Skype, Twitter. Like, you morons don't know it. Like, yeah, we do have inside info you don't have. Anyway, that's the indulgent part. I, don't, don't, I mean, as quick as I I try not to, you know, fucking 
soaking it for too long, but it's a, it's a valid point because I've always hated that Monty. Like the best example ever, because Richard actually did this in CSGO. Shout out Richard Lewis for absolutely exposing what cretins fans are. Richard would literally in CSGO go and talk to friends of his who were like the top in-game leaders in CSGO, like fucking Sean Gares and God B. And he would get these guys who were thought to be like tactical masterminds, Monty. And he would talk to them about their teams, like what are you doing at the moment on this map? And then sometimes, as you'd imagine, it would, he would use it to inform himself. And then he would make a comment on a broadcast. And even fans of that team would be like, ha, what a stupid thing to say. That doesn't even make sense. Like they would never play that way. And the joke was, it had come directly from the coach of that team who that player would, that fan would just like bow if that guy even came in the room. But because it came out of Richard's mouth, they were like, you could never know anything about the game. He's never even been global elite. Like fans are so fucking off the base on this. So anyway, back to... Well, normally it, you guys don't get to see, which is the inside fucking scoop. I mean, also, when it comes to misfits, uh, the fact that here it wanted to leave or, you know, might have wanted to leave, let's put it that way, or didn't get renewed. Isn't that surprising? Because here's the here's the truth, guys. Like after VTO's really good performance, you shouldn't be surprised at this at all. His contract ends at the end of this year. Misfits was shopping him around oh, to no teams yes. during, you know, because they want to get the buyout for him now. Yes. When he's coming off a very, very strong split and not because they know he's going to fucking leave. They don't have the money to keep him. Like Misfits isn't going I mean, to invest in this player. Well, they I, do. Have I, the know money. The, I know the buyout was very un unreasonable. So, yeah, I'm not sure what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, the buyout was, I would say, high uh, for VTO. But so they were shopping him around to various teams like, you know, you know, this shit's this shit's going on behind the scenes because Misfits, he's not going to stay there. So like. Maybe here it doesn't want to stay there either. Maybe VTO isn't motivated this split. Like, he doesn't even have to perform well individually because somebody's still going to pay him a lot of money on his next contract no matter what based on his performance. Like, he's going to find a job somewhere for a lot of cash. So this is why certain teams' performances are very predictable that they're not going to happen again. It's the same shit that I was talking about with Summit leaving Cloud9. People were telling me, oh, Monty, there's no way that Cloud9 would let go of Summit even though his own performance was dropping. Meanwhile, like, <laughs> I'm tweeting, I'm tweeting, like, memes about Summit being ejected into space and among us because I know what's going on inside of the team, so, guys. Like, like, I know what's yeah. happening in Cloud9. And you might think one thing about a player's performance, but I know things that are going on behind the scenes that are definitely, definitely true. And, like, Cloud9... They were shopping. They were shopping Summit immediately, immediately after they got eliminated from the playoff, guys. Like, he was, they were trying to get rid of him so fucking fast. <laughs> so, you, you know, you hear it, you hear these things, you hear these, you hear these stories about what the teams are doing behind the scenes. And it allows you, in certain cases, to predict performance because, yeah, Cloud9 was going to make a change. That was pretty obvious. But in this case, like, Misfits. And VTO knows that VTO was up for sale. So, like, what is his motivation to continue playing well on this Misfits roster uh, besides providing individual value uh, for potential teams in the future? And here's what happens, They cocked him, essentially. Like, if you think about it, if he was going to stay anywhere, Monty, better that he didn't even know there was any, like, off-season or potentially get shopped. Instead, imagine getting shopped. It's like, you might get to go to Mad Lions. Oh, I could be in Wilton. Oh, no, back to... Back to Misfits. Oh, well, whatever. I guess we could do a well, split. Oh, no, but here it's gone. We've got a guy who's irrelevant now. Like, really? Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's, oh, it also, it yeah, also I'm just, really hyped for this one. Keep it also break. just changes team performance pretty dramatically because their motivation, a player's motivation in VTO situation is to look good individually. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean like he could be playing for KDA. He could be playing, you know, he could not be wanting to take risks that might make him look bad because it affects his value as a potential free agent. So, you know, it, it just wasn't going to be the same misfits this split for for a variety of re reasons. And if you know all of these factors that are going on, then it makes it very clear. By the way, though, we, we should point this out. I want to get Nelson's take on this. Misfits is fucking bad now, mate. They look really bad. They look really bad. Here's the problem. Like, people are going to think I'm flaming. Like, I mean, they they are a level of bad where I actually think they're down with the SKs and the BDSs at the end of this split, mate. Like, this is looking really bad. Like, this, I don't see how this turns around. It looks terrible. I mean, at least on, on the detail point, I think. he he, he uh, I know that he's still, like, motivated to play well because... He, he wants to win, you know, he doesn't want to go to NA, but the teams he can go is like limited, right? Like G2 will never replace Caps. Fnatic is not sure. Rogue, they're it's Larson. The in the past, a fan would think the motivation, Monty, would be to get to LCS and get millions of dollars. <laughs> His motivation is like, I really want to keep playing because I don't want to have to go to NA. Like, I want to stay in here and you're like, I love that. I like that. Now it's like a reverse motivation. Now you're motivated to stay. I love it. That's, that's the shit. Go on then. What about Misfits generally? I. I think it's like VTO trying to it's like one V nine because the, oh no okay not it's not that bad it's like VTO and Neon and the other are the other three players are yeah they're like impost the imposters and they're trying to sabotage him those two. I mean, all needs to be said is they even got a bloody lease in game for Slatten and still didn't win. So, like, just forget about it. There are no win conditions. Like, what's this team like, gonna do? The like, conditions not... to win are don't play anyone who'll be in the playoffs. There you go. I've sorted like, it for you, Misfits. I, I mean, it, it, the way this season is going, and especially like BDS was rightfully getting shit on for their absolutely re re reprehensible and ridiculous mid and late game decision making uh, in the first week of competition. But they did technically beat G2 this week, although I don't think G2 was playing. There were a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's a classic G two trap game. Uh, maybe they're you know they were playing fucking live. They're playing fucking live sandbox uh, like Ari Vi comp. Anyway, it doesn't work for live sandbox either. But it is fun to watch. Anyway, this is they gave up all the early dragons. Like got themselves you know in the in the soul hole as it were uh, with a composition that scaled very very badly. Um, but you could also expect BDS to throw. But at least. I will say the thing about BDS, at least they have had a somewhat okay early game, even though they have just absolutely horrible late game macro, probably the maybe the worst of any team in either Western region. <laughs> it's 100 teams watch BDS late game and go, they don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> they won't upset. I mean, so that Baron turn where they literally just walked away from it was just like, that was... That was one of the worst things I've ever seen in professional League of Legends. It was good. But I you like can't. It. They did blue shell. They did blue shell G2. So at this point in time, there is a reasonable conversation to be had about whether Misfits is somehow even worse. Because, you know, at some, way, level, at some level, guys, I think yeah, BDS cool. is actually motivated. Like, they may be bad, but they at least want to win. And they just came off of this Korean boot camp. And they do have options, like they can replace x Maddie with Crown Shot, which they should do immediately, by the way. I don't know why this guy is still fucking playing in LEC. Like, when Crown Shot is literally on your team, on your B-team roster, on your Academy roster, and you could just make that switch, seems like a no-brainer upgrade to me. But if you think about it, 
there is there's definitely a world where Misfits ends up worse than BDS, especially because BDS just fucking stole a win against G2, which should never have been able to happen, right? Um, I'm not sure which of these two teams is worse. I'm, I mean, I can see BDS improving. I think they have an idea on how to play mid-game. It is just that their calls around Baron has, have been extremely bad. Yes. But they, I think oh, by the way, BDS should have won against Vitality as well. Like they had that game in the yeah, fucking bag. And, and Fnatic, and Fnatic, and Fnatic. Yes. Like they sh they should have had their first two a week against G two and Fnatic. <laughs> but, uh, they were very unlucky. I think I was uh, I was very sad for grabs. You have and... to realize though, the fact that BDS can beat G two and a B or one is why motherfuckers have trust issues. For Misfits, it's like I, I have no idea what their jungler is doing. I think, like the game against us, we do, he was playing Diego against Volibear. This matchup has been in the game since spring, and he still yeah. doesn't know how the matchup goes. He, 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 he ends, he feeds a double kill mid lane, and the game is over. Like, then what have you been doing the whole of spring, you know? Because the matchup is the same. Now, whether you can win or or not level three is, is like so obvious. I'm so I'm not sure what he's doing. I mean, to be yeah. fair, we haven't incentivized him because at the end of the last split, people were actually saying he was like a top jungler. So he's learned you don't have to play the first six weeks. Just fucking chill. What's the uh, point in wasting you... all the good games now? Just, just play well at the end of the split. Are you sure it's not just the Greek websites or? <laughs> That was doing my head in as well when motherfuckers <laughs> just bought for their own countrymen. It was mentally that and all. I, I I think this I think the thing about misfits is they just have nothing to play for anymore. Like they used up all their juice in the spring split. They're like imagine being on this team. Your reward your reward for like pulling out these unlikely victories for having for facilitating VTO popping off is like well here it's gone. And also we tried to get rid of VTO. Like how how fun is it to be on this roster anymore? It just seems hopeless. Just seems yeah, absolutely hopeless. Here's why here, this team is exactly why I hate motherfuckers just constantly stacking ERL players because you don't end up with anything. They are ERL players, not LEC players. <laughs> like, think about this, right? This is real food for thought because they could have done this. This team could have added the Young Boon guy. They could have been taking a Korean. They haven't. They just stuck with this shite. What's the point? The real problem is this, right? Every single marker suggested this will be a worse split than the last one. And the last one only was competent because one guy 1v9 like fucking the majority of the games. Like, and because objective bounties existed. Let's be very It was clear. a different game as well. Yeah, exactly. It was a different matter. Let's, let's be extremely clear. If, if champion and objective bounties did not exist, Misfits would have been terrible. Oh, they wouldn't I mean, have won I, some of those games. Yeah, for sure. Those I, miracle comebacks. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even sure if like the other four players are, or the other players are like whether they want to win or not, right? Because we were in Korea and we met up with Vettio, but his team was not there. <laughs> so what were we doing in off season? That was, that was, he was giving you their representation of what Misfits is like. He showed up. There was no one else there. The fuck <laughs> aren't anyway. Exactly. The symbolism of that story is the quite joke is, You probably even said the same thing that everyone says in the team. You went, where are the others? Actually, who gives a fuck? You're the only one that matters anyway. Let's go off for dinner. Yeah. So that's what the fucking coaches staff's probably like as well. Fuck, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Neon is good as well, but I feel like the other three players should be fighting for their lives because you need your next contract in LEC for next year. That's also what fucks the team, though. That's why I say all the markers suggest they're going down, though, Melson. Because I agree, Neon's a good player, but like he doesn't have the broken jinx to pick an nowadays. You know, like even the factors that gave you the like wind conditions are sort of getting a little bit worse on their team. 
And the durability is worse. It's even worse for an ADC. Fucking hell, go on. And spoiler, Misfits is never getting to a late game where you can carry on an ADC anyway. So don't even worry about it. Like, <laughs> the durability won't matter, mate. It's the fact your team can't get to that point in the game. That's what you shower lock on. Yeah, I think it's just that right now there are so many range supports that you have to be, to have even more synergy or your support has to be like good to win so that you can win lane or you can survive the lane so that you can make it to late game, you know. So it's a lot harder than, you know, picking Nautilus or Leona every game. How about just pick a new fucking support player? Like, am I missing something? What, 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 what kept this guy in the team? Like, I was he fucking dodging bullets. Well, let me, let me tell you a story, Thorin. Um, Come on. They, they had to... They they had to go yeah they could get Vander uh they had to go get Jung Hoon from a, a a Korean unknown team because he was better than all of the other available supports that they could have trialed so I think the problem is is that we've talked about this in LCS but the support pool in the West is very shallow uh there just aren't pl- and I don't understand really why because you would think that this is a role that you could be potentially world-class on as a Western player if you were a very good shot caller and you could learn good shot calling just by watching good teams play. Like, this isn't something that you need extensive solo queue experience for. I think that with a lot of discipline and film review and good coaches, you can become a very good support player on a global stage as a Western player. What do you think, Nelson? I think a lot of support players are just. I think 60, 70% they're just bad players. Full stop. <laughs> like they just. They have no understanding of, of other champions, other roles, what other roles should do. And I think that's the biggest issue. By the way, and, what do you think about that? Because that's a famous thing that I know, um, like LS especially always drills, but everyone in the West always just does the whole thing where right? because they don't know the way East. They're like, that's not true. And besides, here's other reasons I've just thought of in one second to not listen to your point. LS always says that like one of the, whole, the key things as well is like, Korean players understand other roles in the game, like especially if you're going to be jungling support for fucks. You better know how some lanes work and like in depth, like everything, matchups, macro, like even though in the, you would think in the West, like just watch the games, like they don't do it, mate. Like people think I'm exaggerating. There are so many tip players. Like the biggest joke ever in the West is when you have friends that are players. Cause it's like, you have to listen to the fucking 20 minute sermon from the jungler guy, about all the top laners don't know what they're doing in Leiden. Then you go to another friend who's a bloody ADC and he's like, oh no, of course the jungler's in bloody combat. And then the other guy's a mid laner. Like actually the way, like they, they, none of them even have the same vision of the game at all. They're like, they're playing totally different games. And I always wonder that. I always think like, well, how are they going to interact with each other and know what the other guy's doing when they're not even in the same vision like that feels like it's still a massive disconnect in the west these guys don't know multiple roles like like the best junglers i've coached even like you know sofm or tarzan they can play other lanes at at a pro level as well and and if they have like less experienced teammates they can even like review the laning phase or the game itself for them you know and I, i'm pretty sure it's the same in korea with like canyon or uh, who was it owner where they can play well, they did the try that. To be fair, yeah, yeah, they exactly. did try yeah, that. Yeah. That was a thing they did. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the issue for the lane for the supports or the danglers in EU. I think they just need to play other roles to understand how the game works on 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 a, on a like bigger or or, it, or like how the other lanes work, so that they can also improve their game. Because there are so many players which I see that. They don't. They just don't understand what, like this mid lane champion does, you know, which shouldn't be the case if you're a pro player. 
What I love, Monty, is that Nelson essentially verbalizes what the actual actions that have allowed the LPL and Asian League of Legends to be the best in the world. But the joke is the rebuttals always show why the West will never be as good. Because what happens is essentially everything boils down, if you've noticed, to practice even more, practice even harder, do more things in practice, put even more burdens on And then all the Westerners just keep going like, yeah, but then what about my mental health? And uh, But then I would be tired. And then also like... What about my hobbies? And I have like a girlfriend and also like, I want to see my family. And plus anyway, like, isn't that too much work though? And at the end of it all, it's like, oh no, I accept your terms. Like you can just practice less and be worth and just lose the competition. Like, no, but at the end, I also want to win. It's like, look, Thorin, I, I absolutely love the Zoomers because they're like, oh, we really have to be very cognizant of mental health and taking breaks. And I'm like, great. That just makes it easier for me to be good or for other people who are highly motivated to be good. Turns out sure. that, uh, People who have an insane competitive drive and want to be the best in the world at something, maybe they take a hit at their mental health and that's just the cost of it. And yes. that's not saying it's good, but some people want to make that trade off. And that is, in fact, what it takes in order to be the best at one of these disciplines. Dude, um, I'm not exaggerating. Back in the day, this is before I was on camera, when I was just a journalist who was just writing articles, doing like audio interviews. If I ever met another journalist in my field in esports and he has like fucking like he plays like fucking roller hockey and he has a girlfriend and he has all friends and he's like going out drinking. I'm like, you don't even have a chance against me, mate, because I don't do any of that shit. I'm just in the fucking game all day long so every time you're out with that girl i'm fucking watching more vods every time you're out with those friends at the roller i don't know why i'm going with some 70s vibe here but on the roller rink there i'm in the fucking i'm studying i'm in the wikis are you have to understand i understand it took a hit to my fucking life of course i was basically a hermit for like 10 years but i'll tell you what there's a reason why the joke is and i always say this because it's just a fucking banger line monty the joke goes like this the reason why i don't tell you guys who my rivals were you wouldn't know their names <laughs> and by the way I'll tie it back in League of Legends that's what it will be like in League of Legends at the end of League of Legends everyone will know all the great LPL champions of the world and MSI winners and you know what there'll be tons of amazing Western teams and players that no one remembers I'm afraid because you'll just like remember your your greatest ever performance like, remember that time we made semis who gives a shit making <laughs> semis if you're the best LPL teams you're in a bad world you idiot like that's the fucking gap of what we're playing on here like, so, like we can take it back even though it's an, it's an immature joke, I'm going to take it all the way back. The original gap that will never be closed is the Western fucking booty holes of the end blasted by the best Asian teams every fucking year, isn't it? A little gap will always remain, won't it? Exactly. Upset, huge upset. huge gap. Exactly. And that, quite frankly, I don't want that gap to get wider or smaller. Just that gap will remain. Just mind the gap. It's like, reason, the, fucking, yeah. it's like the London Underground. Just mind the gap. That's all I'm going to say. Just mind the gap. But I, I do I do think it's funny just because like the, the level of dedication that it takes is it's not something that you are going to be able to this isn't a this isn't a career that you take for, you know, for completely stable mental health reasons like yeah, you, you really have to have a few screws loose guys in order to become the champion at this level. And this is this is part of the problem with like riots disciplining or people being soft in practice as well, because Obviously, like Michael Jordan, very famous for this. But there, you know, what's interesting is the the Avalanche just won the Stanley Cup, right? And there have been a lot of leaked stories over the past couple of years about one of their star players, Nathan McKinnon, who has been kind of enforcing a certain level of discipline within the team. And even his teammates talk about how he's chewing them out when they're not giving 
uh, you know, their full effort during the season and that he really is the taskmaster master on that team. And they're not angry at him. In fact, mo- many of them are very grateful, but it's just that he is holding everybody to a ridiculously high standard. He was like in their team kitchen, like he like removed all of their desserts and snacks and like prevented that like the entire team from eating certain foods. He he would call his teammates fat if they started and told them to like get in better shape. I mean, it, it, sometimes that's what it takes within a team environment and you have to be kind of an asshole and hyper competitive. And the the truth, guys, is that other hyper competitive people that you want as your team will respond well to that generally yes like you don't you there's a way to do it where you're not a complete dick right where you're not demeaning your 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 teammates but if like if you really want to fucking win a championship and your teammate comes up to you and says, hey, you're putting on some weight. Can you please stop eating so many, so much fucking cake so that we can win this championship, please? Can you please get yourself in 5% better shape so that we can put push our team over the top and do everything that it takes in order to win this trophy? Then if, you, if you're a good teammate, if you're a teammate who wants to win, you will do these things. And you will recognize that this person is only saying it because they want the best out of you. Right. That's why that famous link fucking 17 page document was so whack. I know you guys think it was just funny. I think it was whack because basically it was like this motherfucking guy's diary entry. Like, oh, they're being mean to me again. Like, they, yeah, I remember reading it. I even said this in the video. It's like you read that and you, you wouldn't even think Double was a human. You think it was Godzilla or something. Like, oh my God, Double in the room. Help, please. He's like, oh, it's fleeing to underground bunkers. Like, it's just a bloody kid. It's a fucking like 20 year old idiot. He's almost a bloody Zoomer himself. Like, he's just an idiot player. Like, if this is toxic motherfucker you're never gonna hang like if you want a quick anecdote right i'll give you a modern day anecdote that'll show you that even to this day the nba is rough as fuck guys right towards the end of his career but it was only a couple of years before he retired kobe right had had a massive injury so he was never as good a player but he's still on the lakers and the lakers weren't a very good team anymore they weren't even a playoff team at this point they were like a, they were in the western conference but even so they were like let's say like the 14th best team in the conference. they weren't great basically and one one time he came in when he had like an injury so they weren't expecting him to of practice right he comes into practice and all these players like Jeremy Lin and all the like newer school players who were shit players had signed hence why they weren't great they were all like oh hey Kobe what are you up to mate and like fucking Carlos Booz or something like oh hey Kobe what, what are you doing here mate and he actually said to his teammates for real because this is true he, th- it turns out the day he was coming in was the trade deadline and he just said to his teammates oh I'm just here to see which one of you bums are getting traded today just said that to his own teammate remember some of them are going to stay as his teammates like Y'all need to understand, like, when you talk about winners and hyper-competitive people, there isn't any of that shit of, like, oh, but my back hurts. It's like, the question is, who's going to play with a bad back and win this game? That's how a winner thinks, mate. A winner thinks that way. Yeah, go on. Jump in. Uh, have you guys watched, like, the LPL documentary about EDG when they won Rose and the coach was, like, flaming the team? No, I haven't yeah, seen I, that. Oh, really? It's I mean, you should, it's wild, yeah, you should see it. Yeah. And okay. I, I, I've worked with that coach for one and a half years. And that was like very mild already. Oh, it's very mild. Well, yeah, as we know, they mild. usually put the okay. mildest things on camera. Yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> they're not going to put the most extreme sure. things. Um, but yeah, I think I think it really is like a, a big difference because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the model in the West is that you know these players get flamed, then they complain. You know, if their coach is too harsh, then they go complain to the owners, and the owners are like, well, we can't have this information about this coach being hard on the players. Get out there because it'll look bad for the brand or whatever. Or they side with the players because the players' popularity is more important than actually winning these games or pushing them up to the next level. 
Uh, and I, I, we've talked about this like one million times on this show, but also a lot of it is because these fucking nerds have never actually had a coach in their entire life. Of course, yes. Like, if you're if you're a professional athlete, you've been getting coached since you were eight years old playing a sport and you're used to the environment of harsh criticism in order to improve. And you've seen the value and the growth in yourself. If you're some dork who's been playing solo queue alone, raging at people and never taking any advice, and you've been good enough to make it to the top of the solo queue environment. And then all of a sudden you have to listen to somebody else. It's like, well, they weren't there before. I don't know how to react to the situation. I'm just going to behave hot in a hostile manner towards the coaches, which is why I think people want to talk about how to make the West better, the the basic thing that needs to happen is that we have to start coaching kids when they're 10. <laughs> like if that starts happening, that will be the domino effect in a decade that actually gets us good fucking players. Because right now, leaving them to their own devices is a fucking disaster. I also love, you know, when you talk to Western pros and even privately, they'll say those lines to this day. They'll be like, well, why should I listen to his coach? He's your boss, you moron. Do you not understand the premise of a job? Like in your job at McDonald's, you don't go, but why would I listen to him? I'm better at doing the fries than him. No, that's irrelevant. He's your boss. Like you don't even have, you don't even get to have a say in this scenario. Like, because that what's bad is they still do that. If you don't know fans, the average pro player still enters a pro team and his mentality is, show me something and then I might respect you. It's like, I'm literally your boss. I don't have to show you anything, motherfucker. I, I, I don't really think that's the case. You don't show me anything and I'll be fucking bringing in fucking some random ERL player to replace you. Come on then, Nelson. Go on, yeah. report it all, mate. I, I think it's quite hard to be like, you know, their boss when they're earning, when you're earning 100k a year and they're earning like 2 million a year. It's not possible. Yep. <laughs> well, that's, so weird. that's genuinely weird to me, Nelson, because here's why. That is exactly the reason I, in my mind, would find it easy to coach them. Because I could take this guy to one side privately and go, look, mate, this doesn't work out. You've just fucked up your million dollars contract. You're not going to be in a good team next year. Don't worry about me, mate. I've got all this cash here as a coach. I'll be on another team. I'll be on this team if I want to be. So here's the thing. I'm not here for millions of dollars. I'm only here to win. So you get your shit together. That's why we're paying you millions. And then you see me on fucking Monday. Why would he ever be getting a cinema? Oh, but I'll make this one. Yeah, you'll be making nothing next year, mate. So coaches also boy this guy from the from the get-go. I'm curious where your take is, Nelson, because coaches now usually it's not that big of a disparity, but a, an ultra star player is going to make way more money than his coach in any professional sport as well, right? But many of them yeah. still have the respect of they still gain, you know, still respect the coaches and still follow what they're going to do. I I think also at least in the environments I've worked in previously, except Europe, that you could get fired anytime. So it's like it's not easy because teams can just terminate with no compensation and. Other than EU, I'm I'm pretty sure every other region is like is is the same. Unless you have it specifically in your contract that the team can't do that. And in in that scenario, I think like the players' like contract or their job security is just higher. And you want to make them happy so that they play well. And I think that's the ma- majority of the case in most teams. We've nailed the problem. They're trying to make motherfuckers happy. I'm trying to win a video game. You're like, we're trying to make people fucking happy. Spoiler, that's not even possible, as you'll soon find out. <laughs> as you'll soon find out. Man, here's the thing. Mine's very implausible that I'll win worlds. Your idea of making everyone happy, that's 100% going to fail. I've at least got like an infinitesimal chance of success, guys. Well, <laughs> I think I think the problem is, is that there's, this, there's kind of this weird catch-22 that occurs, which is that for highly competitive 
competitive people, the thing that makes them happy is winning in the long term. But I think a lot of these players, even if you're hyper competitive, they trade the 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 long term satisfaction of winning, which might be kind of miserable in the short term. But they're just like, oh, well, I'll trade some short term happiness right now. I want to be happy right now, no matter what happens. Um, but it's not going to make them happy in the long term. And it just leads to extended dissatisfaction over a long period of time. Right? I think it's slightly different. I think it's more like I want to win, but on my own terms. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. I know what you mean fair. by that, Nelson, yeah. but that actually, the problem with that statement is the second part invalidates the first part. Yeah. Because what it implies yeah. is I want to win, but only this way. Well, that's, that's never, there was never a choice like that. You win by fulfilling the objectives of the game better than the other guy so that you're the winner. There's no like, well, I wanted to do it in sort of a cool way. Just, can you do it is the question. And, and spoiler, <laughs> half these guys can't anyway. Because the problem is every time anyone's ever said that line to me, Nelson, it actually all, it's the opposite of what they're presenting it as. They're making it sound like, look, I want to win, but it has to be my way. And it's like, what they're actually saying is, I actually am cool not winning as long as I get to do things my way. It's the opposite statement. They're actually showing you that like, look, unless everything basically goes exactly how I want it, fuck it, I won't be winning. It's like, well, great, brilliant, thanks. Thanks for letting me know that. That's like that Reginald line he said when he was getting investigated where he goes, like, you know when he tried that bullshit angle every abusive, toxic person in a relationship does where they go, look, I'm, I'm my own hardest critic. Oh, that's weird, Reginald. I, I can't remember that time you had yourself in a corner berating yourself to tears, so then you were just on the floor all the morning. Like, it's almost like you actually are a bit harsher on the other ones, and you just sort of give yourself a break, but then tell people the advertising of, like, I'm really hard on myself. Well, tell you what, you've done a fucking terrible job of yourself, haven't you? You've been one of the shittest coaches ever of yourself, so don't really know that's the best advert. So anyway, any player who says that, that is so whack. Come on. Because the, the problem I have is this. The, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning point, Nelson. The thing that kills me is just that these are people who have no solution and they're just shooting down the only actual methods that have ever been used to be the best in League of Legends. Like, if they really had an alternate angle, like they've, they've built this whole training system, I'd be like, go, okay, go do it. But as they say, they just go like, look, it's too much practice. Ah, oh, three scrim blocks. Ah, oh, what about my mental health? It's like, you can say that, but you just, you won't, you'll never win. You just won't be the best, I'm sorry. I don't know how they think they can effectively practice and do half as much or whatever. Like, how's that ever going to work? No, no, I mean, it's not, I mean, some players are like that, but it's more like, I mean, it's more like there are more players who I think, which are like, you can only win if you play for me. And I think there's a lot of players who think like that, which mm. is very toxic and is also probably in like not the correct way. Okay. To, to uh, too win. selfish. Yeah. Like a lot of, many players are like extremely selfish or, or maybe they had too many bad teammates that they just don't trust anyone anymore. And this would be like a snowball effect. Oh, I can definitely think, like, you just think how many years you've seen fucking the best, like, Asian support and jungle players just play, like, dog champions with this shit meta. They don't just go, but I'm actually, they don't do, like, hey, but I'm actually the best on, like, Pikes, just pick me that secretly and I'll figure out what to do. They just play the shit champion. They just play whatever the meta is and just win the game. Even if it's a nightmare. Yeah, but, and, and also, like, I think the difference between, like, let's say the West or some of the Korean teams or some of the Chinese teams is, I think the coach has like the ultimate say in everything, but I, I, you can't say that in, in EU, or any. 
Like you can't... that one is, mate. As soon as you loop into anything cultural, yeah, we can't fix that. Like, look, I, it's hard enough for me to fix, like, my own life. I can't just fix all of Western culture to make us good at a shit video game. Spoiler, I wouldn't make us good at legal. I'd put my, to make Counter-Strike good or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't fix the Western culture. Like, <laughs> I'm not Jordan Peterson or something. I can't just do that. I can't just overhaul all of the culture and all paradigm or something. Like, I'm just a fucking guy on a show. Point taken, though. All right. Is there any team we didn't hit, though? Is there anyone we didn't hit out of the top teams? Oh, we, you didn't really talk much about Mad Lions overall. What do you think of Mad Lions' chances to actually, like, can, can they actually go to Worlds? Because they, they're looking mega so far, mate. I, I think they are top three with us and G2 right now. And Rogue is very close with them. So I would say, like, the, these are the top three, top four teams. I think they play extremely similar to us. But, you know, we just, we just have the better bot lane. And it's, bot lane is just more important right now. But I, I like the way like Niski changed the team because I think he really changed my impression of him because I thought he was just like an above average player with a limited champion pool. But after his addition to Mad Lions, I think they play completely differently. I feel like he's becoming like more like you know the perks type of player where he, he's also the coach. It certainly seems like he's not just it's not just him playing mid lane alone that's turned like his whole impact on the squad. Everyone looks better. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone looks way better. I mean, uh, uh, did you how much did you pay attention to Niski when he was in NA? Because like I feel like the I I think it's been a while since I would say that he had a limited champion pool. Like I, I think that was kind of true at the beginning of his career, but he's really like been on a pretty steady growth trajectory yeah. over a number on, of years now. I think I would say viable champion pool, you know, because on Fnatic, at least when I was there in G2, he could only play TF Rise and Silas. He, he's, his TF is his best champion. His Rise, maybe he wins sometimes. And Silas, he'll only beat the bad teams and he doesn't have anything else. And then I, I did speak, speak with him right after the, the Gauntlet game. Oh, and okay. he said, yeah, he, he was only prepared to play three champions. And if he banned all three, he's fucked. Okay. But yeah, it didn't happen. So he won. And Do you think that the time off was crucial to him expanding his champion pool? Probably, because he had a lot more time to work on what he liked before. And I also spoke with him a lot during the offs, like the spring season, because he had no team and, you know, he's one of my friends. And I just told him, like, yeah, he also had to work on actually trying to be, like, the hard carrier of the team when you play, like, mages instead of only roaming because that won't be the meta forever. And I can see that he was working on it uh, during the during spring season. And I think it also resulted in him, like, learning more champions. That's fair. That's good insight. Because, I mean, he's he has looked strong since he's come back, and he fits very naturally. Oh, two of those champions are in the pool anyway, so he's sorted, <laughs> didn't he? No problem. <laughs> well, he, he fits very nicely in with the way that the other Mad Lions players have liked to play traditionally, uh, which they obviously didn't have with Reeker on the team. Um, he just he seems like a very natural fit. As, as far as what I know before, it was doing the short calling. And it, when Rico was on the team and when Niski joined, they shared more responsibilities. And I, I'm pretty sure Niski has like quite a big effect or impact on how they play the map or, or how they play early and mid game right now. Which is why I think like they also look like one of the strongest teams 
especially when they snowball the early game. Sure. Also, just going to say, maybe that whole spring split off was karma from sort of low-key snaking upset during that whole drama where he sort of like appeared to take Adam's side because they were both getting kicked from Fnatic and Rugby Alliance. All I'm going to say is the universe, when you don't have anyone's back, Niski, no one's going to have your back. A little bit of food for thought for the kids out there. You know, just saying, it's my message of the day. Sort of like Jerry Springer, bringing it back. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you want to head on to a viewer questions, Thorin? Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Nelson. Very insightful. Congrats on XL doing so well. We're going to take a quick break, guys. When we come back, we'll do some viewer questions. Right, we're going to do the viewer questions now. So explain how does one ask a question, Monty? <laughs> uh, we won't get existential on that, uh, but you go to the Insight on Esports Discord, and if you hold 25 Grog Coins, there's a Grog Coin Lounge, there'll be a pin post in there about how you acquire your coins of the Grog variety, and then there'll be an SI questions thread made every week where you guys can ask the questions. Once you're in, you're in forever, basically. Well, as long as the platform exists, I will add that <laughs> caveat. I can't guarantee the internet will exist forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, obviously, like, if we stop using the Grog coins, we would tell you on the Discord yes. first so that you could sell them before we did that. So we aren't, we aren't going to be... It's not a pump and dump scheme, guys. You will get to dump first. I promise you that. Uh, but we've been using these. We will continue to use these also at a great value right now. Uh, here we go. SI questions. Uh, some of my best memories as a Korean child was playing custom maps in StarCraft and Warcraft 3, which encompassed just about every uh, game genre, RPG, MOBA, tower defense. Yep, those were great. Uh, in which players, uh, uh, let's see here, degenerate strip games in which players work in tandem to clear various missions and each success would lead to the removal of a pixelated garment from a woman on the minimap. They, they were quite creative. Having played League for nearly a decade, I'm quite bored of the existing modes in the client. Why wouldn't Riot allow similar things for League of Legends? Is it actually wise of them in the long, long run to limit the number of game modes? So there's several reasons. The game is built on crap code, uh, unlike those other games that had their own engines that were built off of them. I mean, technically, League is complicated. I'm not going to get into what the actual engine of League is right now, but... Um, Let's just say it was made very badly, uh, to be brief about it. And it was built off of some really shit existing code. Uh, and so I don't know if they could do that, number one. Uh, number two, we've actually seen uh, a lot of those game modes. Uh, arguably, Blizzard made a mistake because so many of the pop, like MOBAs was basically built off of the Warcraft 3 engine for Dota. And then Blizzard mega fucked up and didn't make Dota 2 themselves. And Blizzard is very aware of this, by the way, guys. From my time with working them, talking to a bunch of people there, they are so aware of the lost opportunities that they have had in terms of uh, owning developed like games that are developing or working with these community developers, bringing them in. Because famously, League of Legends was built by... They, one of the first hires was Ginsu, one of the guys who was responsible for balancing Dota, uh, in Warcraft three, they brought him in to like design stuff for, for league in the very early days. Um, so, you know, maybe riot doesn't want to deal with that. Uh, maybe they would, because there's tons of concerns if somebody actually built a good version, but my sneaking suspicion is, is that it's not actually possible because league is built on shit code. That, that is my guess. 
That is my guess. This is actually a point that I thought was a very um, shrewd point. I think it was actually the now sadly deceased in control who made this point years and years ago on like a state of the game unfiltered type show. He basically made this point, Monty, that one of the things he thought actually made StarCraft 2 not as popular as it could have been is that's the thing in StarCraft 2 they didn't have that whole arcade thing when it launched. It didn't have all the custom games because if you yep. don't know half of It was the, terrible by the way. Half the time when you played old school games you didn't play like you were you were just a shit version of a pro on a ladder like 1v1 it's competitive and oh the ladder you just played the game for fun you played in this like very light-hearted manner of like you find a server there's someone in the server you play them three or four times in a row or in this case you're dicking around at night you play a custom mode that you've never played before with random people essentially the the, the key aspect that they've nailed here that they haven't done in the modern esports games is the modern esports games genuinely acts like your dream as a child is to just play basketball in like a full 5v5 game and be Michael Jordan no, your dream is to go to the park and just play shoot around or play a game of horse or something. Like, you can't play a 5v5 game as a little kid and that's it. It wouldn't even make sense. But that's what esports games do. It's why I've always thought the biggest flaw ever was this stupid notion that, like, you have to play the same game that they do. Like, no, you want fun game modes for low-level players. Casual yep. play. It's also a great way to get people into games, by the way. There's another reason why these games used to be played, if you remember, Monty. Because back in the day, if I don't play Warcraft 3 and you play Warcraft 3, even if we're friends, we can't play 1v1 because you'll destroy me but yeah. here's the thing if we're both if if we both happen to just have starcraft installed we can go and play one of those stupid modes where it's like 4v4 you know like ridiculous also just a nice a break i mean i can't tell you the amount of times i spent in my childhood playing these games especially with friends man it was they, they were fucking great like footman sure. frenzy like a lot of the old brood war game modes like the custom the like so so awesome and like it's really good to have a sandbox i mean overwatch has now done that like overwatch has a sandbox mode where communities people can create games uh it's not obviously as robust as it was in some of the rts games because rts the the rts offers like a lot of different game modes that you can make using the engine in pretty simple ways so unfortunately uh part of the demise of rts has also been part of the demise of community game making um which sucks um people talk like oh i i mean i would love to have a new rts game that is world class uh but People can bemoan the lack of RTS, but it also has a knock-on effect of um, we have to understand that out of these RTS games came many modern types of games that you play competitively. And so without this sandbox for people to play in or for people to design things in, we just don't even have that either. So fucking sucks, honestly. I'll also throw this last one in. Obviously, we're talking about more like an arcade mode where anyone could design the map and the custom games. But I'll just say on the Riot angle, because obviously Riot think they have to do everything themselves. All I'll say is this. There are only three games Riot has ever made, and they copied all of them from other people's games. So yep. they're not really the most creative guys in the fucking field, are they? They've copied someone else's MOBA, someone else's Counter-Strike tactical shooter, and someone else's auto chess. Like, they're not really the guys coming up with all crazy... Oh, they are, but they just don't ever make the games. They, they also are just as a company, um, they reject independent thinkers because they everybody in that company is incredibly conflict averse. And so because they have a very cultish Kool-Aid drinking culture um, and they have, a, they have a bunch of people in positions of power where if they are disagreed with, we'll just eject you from the company. And it's happened time and time again at Riot that, um, you know, there aren't people who are really independent thinkers a lot of the time working for Riot, um, especially if you're somebody young and coming in at a lower, like a lower level. Whereas 
in these, if you have a map editing tool, you can just do whatever the fuck you want and present your ideas, right? Whereas Riot itself is very cultish, very cultish. Um, and in my experience and in the experience of many people that I know on the design teams is not super friendly to though, to people who have independent streaks. Um, By the way, at the moment, you can play the World's Prediction Series 2 competition from eSports Bet. <laughs> includes LNC, includes the LCK, includes LPL. Spoiler, includes most of the League of Legends tournaments, CSGO, Valorant, FIFA, Rainbow Six, all the Jack Dota 2, everything you could, every game that every game that Riot stole a game from, they've got the original version of that game. It's probably on there and you can bet on the games in that or you can bet in the shit Jota clone that is League of Legends. So, as <laughs> obviously, it's a free-to-enter competition. Use the link below. Go and sign up. They'll give you some tokens to play with. You can log in each each day and they'll give you another thousand tokens to a cap of 5k it's basically free to enter just give more chances and then go make a bunch of bets see how you do it's a massive prize pool we mentioned some of it earlier we'll mention it on future episodes back to the questions that's right uh also get advice on competitive edge on this channel um which by the way listen normally i'd like to undersell things but i will say man alive we have almost just been tripping over and killing the fucking game <laughs> how many of those do we get right it's mental in it like someone did they actually did a little graphic during our watch party like i've done something like double the amount like i've won like 37 yep. and lost 17 or something ridiculous yep. yeah it's, yeah, it's, it. it's been really good, especially this last week, too. Uh, out of the upsets, like the four upsets we discussed on the show, we got three of them correct. That's fire. And these are upsets, <laughs> Which, way, These are like two to one or three to one odds. Like, Remember, so. they're telling us mathematically these teams aren't going to win, so we, we killed those ones. Anyway, whatever. That, by the way, those episodes will be on this show, so just make sure you subscribe. Yep. Um, how to tell bad writing from great writing. What is bad writing and why is it bad? Um, I've had someone defend bad writing as okay if it brings joy um uh like yeah, okay so talking about bad writing so here here's the thing about art <laughs> is that art should good art will lead to revelations of profound timeless truths and it will reveal them in a way that is unique um and effective in a manner that hasn't been done before would be, I think, a simple way to put it. Um, if it if it's like der very derivative or is based off of platitudes or is done in a way that's been done a thousand times before, then it's not particularly good art, right? Or if it uses uh, logical fallacies or tropes like deus ex machina that are really ham-fisted. It has to be done uh, with delicacy and and um, sophistication, right? And I think that for me, that's what really defines great great art. And yes, you can like bad writing, right? Like I I've said this a million times, but my name is Monte Cristo. I don't think The Count of Monte Cristo is the greatest book of all time. Like, it's pretty, it's like pop culture of the 19th century, right? I just personally find it entertaining, but I'm not here to defend it as revealing profound truths about the human condition. It's certainly like, it's pretty good, but it, it has a lot of flaws, right? 
I mean, to me, the answer is pretty simple because uh, like, basically the problem you're going to have in the modern days, yeah, people are going to hit you straight away with all the fucking like moral relativism, essentially. So they're going to hit you with like, well, you know, artists like uh, beauty is in the eye of the oh, beholder tiring. and, you know, it is very subjective. I don't think it is. Like I'm not where Monty is basically. I think like the old ancient Greeks nailed it. The good, the true and the beautiful are the yep. same thing. They are just different aspects of the same thing. So basically the question is very simply answered. How do you, the question actually is just how do you acquire a taste for good writing the same way you acquire a palate or a taste for anything you develop it you you start with the things people recommend are very good you see do you like them can you understand them can you appreciate them gradually you expand out over time in the same way as you could learn to appreciate wine or music or dance or a sport in the same way as when you follow a league you couldn't just watch a league game and get anything meaningful out of it in the first ever viewing but you watch a thousand league games and you'll watch the best game ever when rocks tigers play a t1 or whatever it'll be incredible to you so the same thing so that's why i said don't worry about that and anyone who's if you if essentially if you've already read lords and something isn't good writing to you but someone's trying to spin you like no but here's why it is good writing like all they're doing is showing you the art of fucking rhetoric they're just trying to trick you and spoiler that person probably try to fuck you as well they can talk you in reading some shite book they can probably fucking get your pants down as well so i'd watch out if i were you just trust essentially just do put in the hours yourself and try also trust yourself Genuinely, if you think something's good and you've actually like you, you enjoy it for the reasons I say, you find it good, true, or beautiful. I don't care what someone else says. Fuck them. How do they know? Trust yourself that you know better than them. And also, just be you know, uh, you could you could read if you'd only ever read one book, it would probably seem quite profound to you because you don't have anything to compare it against. Like the only th time you can know what is good art is by extreme exposure to art and seeing is this derivative is it phrased well compared to other works right so it's a process right like and also the the more exposure you have the more you're going to understand what you find to be profound or to be life changing and then you're going to find probably more and more niche works of art that satisfy that need or because you've been exposed to so much you might have to move into niches that you haven't before because that's the only place you can find profundity at that point in time, right? That's the only thing you can find something fresh is not in the mainstream work of art that everybody, that may be an excellent work of art, but you've, you've interacted with that piece of art and now it's time for something else. And there's only so many like seminal works, right? And you can always go back to Shakespeare and find a new experience. I think that's the thing about amazing works of art is there you could go back to them an infinite number of times as you grow as a person, as you age, as you have different life experiences, and there's always something new in there that you haven't seen uh, before that will inform your life in some way. A lot of great religious texts are like this as well. Um, but in the end, like it's going to be a very personal journey. Now, the difference is, is that bad art is pretty easy to recognize after a certain point in time. So if somebody's telling you like some fucking trash is actually good, that's, that's just objectively not true. And if somebody hits you with the like, well, art is just opinion based. No, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, if somebody has an expertise in something or a wide ranging palette, right? Because they have had so much experience with something that's, you know, you're not going to be able to appreciate a Michelin star restaurant if your standard is a fucking grilled cheese sandwich. Grilled cheese sandwich is fine, right? Like, I'm going to make that for lunch, but I'm not going to hold it up as great art of food, right? A, a great piece of cuisine. And so 
unfortunately, like if somebody tries to convince you that all art is has the same value, they're just a fucking nihilist, honestly. Like, and you should stay the fuck away from them because there's nothing that to look. We live in a cold and uncaring universe, and you have to have you have to be able to find value because otherwise you go insane. That's all I'm gonna say. I'll, I'll just disagree <laughs> with the last one, though. Even though obviously you're welcome to your opinion, I will just say that's exactly why you want to search out what is good and true and beautiful, though, because that is actually whatever good in the universe shining through the cracks yes. of the darkness. So like, <laughs> seek that out. It's actually life sustaining. By the that's way, there's even a good angle. I'll tell you one thing that'll tell you if something's good writing or not. How it actually makes you feel and what impact it has on your life. Not in the moment did I enjoy reading that, but like if it has a profound effect on you, probably is it's there's something crafted there, isn't there? It's, hopefully it's not just pure fucking shenanigans and sophistry. Hopefully it's actually it touched something real. Uh <laughs> I like this name, architect of Korean esports based Joe. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's referring to Joe Marsh, the lord and savior of Korean esports. Um, would 20 of you be able to beat Prime Mike Tyson in a fight? What would be your approach? No weapons allowed, but no restrictions on moves? Okay, here's the thing. I actually do. I, I have spent years doing kickboxing, uh, so I do know what I'm doing. Um, now, obviously, Mike Tyson would have significant skill and weight and strength advantage on me, but... Guys, Mike Tyson can't beat 20 of anybody in a fight. That's just fucking impossible. Very naive <laughs> question. Oh, yeah. like, I, I don't know what you guys think fighting is like, but like, even if you are a highly skilled martial artist, if somebody has 70 pounds on you, you're probably not winning that fight. Like, by the way, the stupidest scene in every action movie is where someone beats up multiple assailants simultaneously from different angles. That doesn't happen in real life. Like, in real life, there's a reason why that video gets to the top of Reddit where a guy randomly fights off two people once. Like, because that is so rare that that's going to happen. So the idea 20, genuinely 20 of any person could beat Mike Tyson easily. Yeah. Easily. The Easy. irony is you've actually naively backed into a question that Gabe Newell once said about Counter-Strike. Gabe Newell went to a fucking IEM World Championship in like, I think it was 2011 at CBIT. And he was asked about Na'Vi, who was the best team in the world at the time. And his answer for real was he said, I'd love to see these guys against the public. Like, how many people do you think it would take to kill one of them? And this is in Counter-Strike. It's like, bro, you are aware someone can shoot you inside the head with one bullet, you die. Like, it's over. <laughs> Same principle in fighting. You could be Mike Tyson, but if the guy comes behind you, you every, here's the flaw that fans don't know. Fans really believe all that movie shit that, like, inside a fighter's brain, he's like, oh, I should really just be knocked out now, but I just have too much heart. Like, no, when you get hit on those nerves, you, your yep. brain goes off. It turns yep. you off to keep you alive. Because if you keep going, you'll be dead. So. Right. And you could also tell people who have never been hit in the liver before, because, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter how good you are. If you get hit there, you are going to be on the floor. Like, that that just fucking doesn't oh, matter. Mate, the worst one in MMA, genuinely, because it just doesn't pass the eye test if you never felt it, is getting leg kicked. It it doesn't oh, yeah. look like anything. It looks like it looks like what's well, a big deal. Every one of those really hurts. The guy's fucking shit is going they, into they, your they fucking, oh, they fucking stack as well. So if you get kicked in kickboxing, exactly. if you get kicked in the leg, even kind of like not very hard, but you get kicked there five times in a row on your thigh, like you can't walk and it just yes. sucks. You can't move. The other thing about Mike Tyson is he's, he plays with he 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 fights within certain rules. Like he doesn't know how to kickbox guys like kickboxing. 
he boxing is a very strict discipline that does not include any ground game. It doesn't even include stand up grappling like Muay Thai. So he he doesn't know how to do clinching. Probably he's saying this that there's no. I know he said no weapons, but he said there's yeah. no rules. Construction on moves. Want? So like kickboxing, you would immediately so he just gouge his eyes, fucking rip his dick off. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Come on, mate. That's, so, so that, that's the thing. Is yeah. like, and, and the thing about kickboxing is like it doesn't include ground game. So even though I've I've done a lot of Muay Thai, right? I don't have any ground game, guys. If you get me on the ground, I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Doing, right like because i pursue it as a sport and within that sport there are rules but even even for me like if you've actually been involved in a martial art as i said earlier like i could be a worse fighter from a technical perspective but if some guy weighs 35 pounds less than me there's no chance he is he's coming back on me because he would have to be so much better than me because he just can't block i'm too heavy like he, he can't block my punches i probably i probably have a reach advantage on him if i can i can literally just run up to him and grab him and be stronger than him and like it would it's very very hard to win in a fight if you if somebody's substantially larger than you even the if they way, don't know what they're doing. That's why in the UFC they created the obsession around who is the best pound-for-pound pound fighter. Because, spoiler, the best fighter is nearly always just whoever the heavyweight champion is. As Monty yeah. says, he would he would just win in a street fight with no rules. Like, he would just win because he could just sit on you for a start off, couldn't he? Like, you wouldn't be able to do shit to this guy. You know? Well, it's even, it's even just like blocking punches, Thor. And it's like, if some guy, because the way that you punch properly is you're putting a lot of your body weight into it. And, like, you're just not strong enough to block these punches effectively if you try and block them, you're just going to punch yourself with your own hand, right? So, you know, it's the whole thing is fighting. Don't get into fights, guys. Like what the thing about martial arts is once you start fighting, you realize very quickly how much you don't actually want to get into a real fight without rules because you could die extremely quickly for really stupid reasons. You just fall over, hit your hit the back of your head and you're done, right? Or you realize like it doesn't matter how much skill I have. If this dude weighs 70 more pounds than me and has five inches on me, I'm just fucking done. So don't fight. <laughs> fight for fun in a controlled environment as a sport. <laughs> Uh, what would you recommend is a good way to get a liberal arts ed education without going to college? Well, that's a Thorin question. <laughs> Library. It's free. Don't know if you know this. And in fact, it's another thing. I won't tell you where to get it, but if you know where to look, you can also get any book you want pretty much online potentially for free so like that's the thing you're in the information age for fuck's sake mate there has never been a bit of easier time to get all this info just direct in your house without even bloody leaving so i would just say the same thing the, by the way the number one secret in life in my opinion is just having curiosity if you have curiosity i always say it like this instead of feeling like you have to push yourself there it's like you're being drawn there you want to you're the moth to the flame you want to know more about this thing to experience more of this thing to get better at this thing so i would just say if this is the field you're into, get out a, a very simple philosophy. Get out a book on Aristotle. Get out a, a book on basic understanding of Shakespeare. Get out a book on, like, I would pick one of the more modern poets. You're not going to enjoy something from fucking 18th century or something. I'd pick like, something like Walt Whitman or something. Pick sort of fucking something sort of like All a war poet great. or something that you might be able to just get into because you know the premise, you know. Simple things like this. Just start there and branch out. I, by the way, one of the best things about the internet in the modern day as well is they've mastered the algos. So the best thing's going to be once you buy a book of this stuff from whatever faceless store amazon or wherever you buy it from the algorithm is going to get really good at recommending the next thing or that oh, these people also bought this you, you'll quickly find you'll branch out and you'll find your way to what you need i think 
So the other advice that I always give to people in this situation, is, and this is another like book recommendation, is I said this before, but there's a there is the former head librarian of Congress was a man named Daniel Borston. And Daniel Borston had a fucking insane mind where he could basically understand all of these threads of Western history. And he wrote three books called The Discoverers, The Creators, and The Seekers. And The Discoverers is about the history of Western science, starting with like the earliest days going through almost the modern era. Um, the Discoverer or The Seekers is based off of philo philosophers, and uh, The Creators is based off of uh, writers, artists, and musicians. And so basically, in these three books, he gives you an insane overview of the history of Western like science, thought, religion, philosophy, right? And here's the thing. You could read a chapter of this book, and if he'll talk about Aristotle at the beginning, right, of the seekers, and if it interests you, he'll be like, here are the books where it's from, and you can just go read those books. It is literally the single fucking best crash course in well-rounded liberal arts education. It's very entertaining to read. These books are mega, guys. And if you don't have time to go to college, or if you have a college degree in a scientific discipline, these are insane. They're so fun to read, and you just bounce off and explore whatever musician, artist, you know, religious text, science, scientist that you're interested in. You just go find that. It is the foundation of liberal arts education distilled into like three books. It's fucking amazing. Very, very good. Um, what are some of the worst roster moves that almost happened? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Almost happened. Let's see if we can think of like one fun one though. Let's think of a good one. Let me think. Cause I've had some fucking bad ones over the years. I'm trying to think who's really whack, who's almost in teams. Let me think. So I'm trying to think over the years, I've had some mad ones from teams like TSM. I'm trying to think what the maddest ones would be though. Fuck, like what would be a really bad fucking move? You don't have one for like LCK or anything? And a famous one that almost happened? There have been some mad ones. Here's the sad thing. The saddest thing of all is the LPL is really weird because the LPL is the league where it's the opposite. All the moves that almost happened were the amazing moves and they never bloody end up happening. Like Jackie Love goes to RNG to replace Uzi yeah. Like The ones that you really want never happened to the LPL. It's the other way around there. The joke is I think half the LPL ones were, were kind of shit. I'm trying to think of a good Western one though. Let me think. I mean, people might know some of the ones that they've heard of already. Like, there was that story years ago where, like, fucking Forgiven was going to go and... Think about this. Think about how stupid an idea this is. They were going to put Forgiven in the place of Doublelift, who they've just kicked out for being too toxic. <laughs> and luckily... It only didn't happen, as far as I remember, because they wanted Forgiven to try out. And because Forgiven's Forgiven, he was like, oh, great. <laughs> like, and he just he wouldn't do the tryout. I mean, yeah, you had to just give him the spot sight unseen. That's who he is. The joke is, <laughs> with, without even knowing it, certainly some of these would probably involve Dardock. There's probably like 15 that involve Dardock. <laughs> sure. <laughs> going somewhere and then not. Because he, he eventually made it through like all the teams in the LCS. So given his skill level versus his ability to operate as a human being, uh, there must have been a bunch of ones that could have happened that were terrible with him. Um, I don't know. Uh, has the statute of limitations passed on the TSM Dignitas incident from season two worlds? And can you two comment on that and the Frost Wung incident? Um, 
What's the, what is there left to comment on? All that happened was someone just accidentally leaked a strat and then the other team heard and then made... Yep. By the way, here's the part they don't like to say because they all claim, oh, no, dude, we were amazing in scrims. Like, we were so fucking good. You weren't going to win anyway. Shut the fuck up. Like, that that angle is so <laughs> overblown. It's meant like, oh, yeah, even if you'd have made it out of the round of eight, every single team in the playoffs would have ducked that team straight off. Come on. Go go to, go ask Dominate on his stream. Like, he can probably I mean, answer that. I'm sure he's told the story on the crackdown like three or four yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> And then the Frost Wu incident. So look, all the teams were doing that. I don't know what to tell you. They always you bring it up as just Wu. In fact, TSM fans have the goal, by the way, to be like, how dare you? You know, TSM fans were, TSM players were actually fined as well. I'll go look it up now, but I'm almost certain some TSM players also were fined for the same incident in Monty Oak. The Didn't problem. Look, look at the screen. It was like right in the middle, right? The problem was Riot was fucking stupid and had producers that had never worked on esports before, and they didn't realize that they can't put the players in a position where they should be able to see the screen. Okay? It was Riot's fault. Don't blame the players for that one. All of the players were going to do that. You just can't have that situation develop. That's, that, that one's on Riot. So. There's no extra juice on any of those. those stories are just both known. I'm not really sure what you're hoping for on that one. <laughs> We've established that Thorin is esports. Monty, what are you? I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, still here in esports for some reason. <laughs> you know what's funny, Monty? All I'll say is this, and when I say this one line, it makes everyone look like a fool. In the same way as I've always thought the biggest cell phone ever is whenever everyone says that line, they go, ha, call yourself the esports historian. The fact you don't say a name instead means I am. Exactly. So same principle. <laughs> Notice how when they told me I'm not esports money, they didn't have anyone else. They didn't have a go-to <laughs> name that was esports. Then I am esports, aren't I? So, <laughs> there we go, QED. <laughs> what would you say you are? Uh, I, don't, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> you had to, you know, fucking condense yourself down to one principle. What would you represent? <laughs> What's what's on my Twitter right now? Esports Knight Errant. I think that's pretty good. I just I, I move around the scene from scene to scene, doing in good works independently on my own due to my own code of honor. That's that's me. Because <laughs> if you guys don't know, like the concept of the Knight Errant, like back in the day, is basically a a, a, a noble who would follow the code of chivalry and kind of just wander around the countryside doing good works as as they struck him and like go on quests of his own volition, right? You know, by the way, my favorite thing about the people being mega triggered about that I am esports tweet is it actually just shows why modern people are incredibly stupid because they cannot operate mentally beyond the literal level, Monty. So most comments I saw were like, oh, so you're the only person who's esports. What? So no one else is esports. So you think you're more important than boxer and like, no, I never said any of that. I said, I am esports, by the way. Never said esports is one person. I am the essence of esports. By the way, someone giving 20 years of their life to a game when you make no money and battling, I think that pretty much is the essence of esports, you stupid fucking idiots. The joke is, just like with the esports historian one where they go, see, you called yourself it. And I always say, I did it. Actually, a man called Simeone from Face It in something like 2013 called me the esports historian. But in explaining esports history to you, I've just shown you that you don't know esports history enough to make a judgment on who the historian is. So same thing. If you don't know why I am esports, all you've shown me is you definitely are. Aren't esports? Well, you like that I, one? I, 
And and as as far as I know, uh, you know, you have more esports in your brain in terms of the history of it, multiple games, every, years of ten year, like years and years and years of experience than anybody else. So you are more esports than anyone else I know. Here's a joke for you because it's funny. <laughs> Another classic pea-brained NPC take was this, Monty. They go, "Huh, esports historian. Anyone can just look up a wiki." Right, A, those wikis didn't even exist over 10 years ago, you moron. And B, when they literally invented a Counter-Strike wiki, one of the first things they did was come to me and beg me to write as many things in it as I could. And I told them, sorry, I don't have time. Well, why would they do that if anyone could just read the wiki? The joke is, I basically wrote the wiki, you moron. I didn't, literally in this sense, but you get the premise. Like, you've missed the point completely, haven't you? Yeah, exactly, I know. Come on, mate. The joke, here's the premise, right? Here's why I am esports. Because I am the only person ever, I don't even care how egotistical this sounds, out of everyone, if you had to pick one, if all of esports history was destroyed and actually erased, if you had to pick one person to survive and piece together as much as they could from their brain, you would pick me in a heartbeat. That's one thing I don't even need to don't even debate on that one. I could fucking construct yeah. most of it. Let me put it this way, guys. If if all uh, here's the thought experiment. If all of esports was going to get destroyed tomorrow and we could only put one person in the nuclear bunker to recreate esports, we would definitely put Thorin. That's it. It's not even a conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not even a fucking conversation. And by the way, it's not some sort of arrogant thing in this society. I'm some brilliant person. I'm putting mad hours to this shit. I have literally put in decades of my life on Wikipedias and shit, for fuck's sake. So don't worry. Yeah, I've, all, I've got it all squared away. Anyway, what's the next question? Come on. Uh, this is a good one. You have been given infinite resources and a time machine to recreate any film of your choice. It can be a film you liked that you could make even greater or a subpar film that you wish lived up to its potential. Which film oh, do so you choose? We can just tweak how we want the movie to be, right? So, okay. like, so I guess the question is, like, do we pick a good film that with modern with with money could be made better or like a kind of shitty film, maybe because it had bad production value, but like kind of a good underlying concept that could be made better with infinite money i mean an obvious one under those parameters would be like take a movie for example maybe in an era where they didn't have good special effects and do like yes. a sci-fi movie now of yeah that would be an yeah. obvious angle you could do what would even fit that though let me think i tell you what would be sick obviously i would actually want also like the fucking as you say you've got infinite money here so i would want like the, all the real people so i'm not going to do this i would want them to do it but imagine if you could actually make a movie like 2001 but with like modern graphics yeah like the same spirit and the artist but the mm. one the, yeah, that would be fucking unbelievable wouldn't it imagine all that but even in the cinema like an imax cinema with those giant oh, yeah. things, be incredible wouldn't it the problem is the problem with doing this with movies is that a lot of good movies even if like 2001 is still a fucking great movie and still has awesome visuals even with the constraints of its time and like for example i prefer the visual effects of the original star wars movies because they were practical effects and they really kind of suited the grittiness of it and like they were really well done even in the 70s and er and early 80s when they were making those movies and i prefer them over like the all the shiny cgi shit um so it's like i wouldn't there are a lot of movies that I wouldn't really want to see upgraded at all. Or you have to remember too, that a lot of the reasons why great movies are great was because they were just made being innovative with the technology of their time. And they weren't overreaching to do like silly shit. I know that is actually why the original star Wars is so good. If you ever go and look at some of the ideas, George Douglas had, he had some terrible ideas, but just necessity being the mother of invention with the first movies, he had to like be a bit more limited and he had to like cut things and like, 
the joke is if he'd have had like the Avatar budget, he'd have made a shit movie. He'd have just made <laughs> yeah. a garbage on all his ideas. And, and he did you know. later, so we know what exactly. happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, by the way, that's the, that's probably the dumbest thing about Star Wars ever. You know, the ones who now, because now they've sort of redeemed the prequels for themselves because of these new ones. Now they're like, bring back George Lucas. Right. <laughs> this is a fact. And if you think about it, you'll understand why I'm right. George Lucas directed four Star Wars movies. The worst four, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> ones so you don't want him to come back it wouldn't be good would it he made the worst ones what you really want is those fucking straight fire guys who made the second and third one to come and do it that's what you really want i've got two movies i would change and these changes would make both of them even better movies right one's a very small one and one's a big change one. no no that, that one's fine right one is the christopher nola one though which is i would just go back and i would get the movie the dark knight Right, you're all going to go and you'd save Heath Ledger's life, right? I don't really care that much. That can happen. What I would change, though, is that the movie The Dark Knight just needs to basically have the last act taken yes. out. The whole act with Two-Face, that should be a movie. If you, just, if you just ended it when he essentially gets the Joker and it's just about him and the Joker, the movie would be about two hours long and it would be an amazing movie. It would, it would have no filler. It would just be like really well paced. The last third really drags and sort of brings you in another... It's essentially got the same problem those DC superhero movies had. They try to make like one and a half movies and the, the other half always fails and sucks the energy out of the movie, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, people love The Dark Knight because they only remember the good parts and not the fucking... And, like, I think Aaron Eckert does a really good job at playing Two-Face. It just has nothing to do with the rest of the movie yes. and makes the movie bad. Uh, you could have just made it a different movie. I mean, frankly, like, you could also pick um, whatever the Bane one was. You could remake that movie a million times. Yeah, that movie sure. fucking sucks, guys. Like, think about how memorable Tom Hardy is as Bane in that movie. And think about how fucking stupid that movie is, where he just comes into the stock exchange and, like, download. He, like, hacks Bruce Wayne's bank account and, like, downloads all his money. Like, that's the thing that could happen. That's the dumbest Deus Ex Machina shit ever. You could make a million times better Bane movie because Tom Hardy killed it. A lot of the dialogue's really good. It's just the plot is terrible. Like, I would love to remake some of those movies and actually make them good. Here's my one other tweak. And the sad thing is, there's another superhero movie, so it's going to sound like, oh, I'm a nerd shit. Like, no, it's just an obvious... It's one that I've heard other people say, I didn't come up with this change. But when I heard it, it was actually genius, right? You know, the very first, the 2002 Spider-Man movie? Yes. Right? The dumbest thing they did in that movie, and this changed, the second you even hear it, it just makes instant, immediate sense was you took a brilliant actor, character actor, like Willem Dafoe, yes. and put a mask over his face. <laughs> what you should have done is just painted his face green. He's a fucking amazing... Remember that scene he does in the movie, in the mirror, where he's looking and he's seeing the, the alter ego? Yeah. It's fucking amazing. And then the rest of the movie, and the mask on, well, hey, Spider-Man, I'm just... <laughs> Why have we got this actor? What are we doing? Like, you've just ruined it. You got it. like you for Vendetta. He also has a really ugly sort of twisted fit. That's what Willem Dafoe just looks like anyway. Like, you could have done that so much better, in my opinion. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with V Vendetta. Like, what a waste again. It's just a mask in it. Like, I mean, Hugo Weaving does nail that role, and he does amazing things with his voice. Have, like, so much, yeah, I know. But, yeah. <laughs> just the world in it, yeah. It, it always does feel sad when the entire movie is just him wearing a Guy Fox mask. Um, so, yeah, those are some good ones. I mean, I, honestly, like, 
the, the real tipping point of Star Wars. Was, to actually, if you think about it, he's been mega in almost all the big roles he's had, hasn't he? Hugo Weaving. Oh, he's I'll great. even give people, if anyone wants like an obscure indie, like you want to see it movie. He did a movie in the late 90s in Australia called The Interview, and it is mega. It's one of those movies where it's, it could be like a play, you know, it's only like a couple of people, and it's just maybe them in conversation and stuff. But like, it's like a sort of psychological, I won't give any clues away, but it's just, it's a really good movie. It's got, and he does a mega job in it. Also, if you want to see how good he is as a character actor, you should watch the Australian movie uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where he plays one of three drag queens in a like a bus driving across the outback. It's fucking hilarious. Great movie. I won't be watching that movie, but thanks for the recommendation. Anyway. <laughs> it's a good movie, man. It's a great whatever. movie. It's whatever. <laughs> um, what is the longest you've had to fill on a broadcast? Like I think we answered this on the we actually had this on the thing yeah. on the view watch party. It's like probably like an hour, hour, hour a couple yeah. hours, yeah, hour and a half, couple. Here's hours. The other thing, what you might not know, if it goes beyond, I mean, an hour's even stretching it. If it goes beyond, usually about twenty thirty minutes, they usually will cut to a break anyway, because that usually means you've got like some major tech problem, and it's like indeterminate when they'll come back. So they actually are the the good tos are smart enough to know you don't like burn a three hour fucking fill on like day one in the group stage. Like you just kill your talent, don't you? So usually we can't fall beyond a certain point because they'll just take you off the broadcast. They'll know like there's no point just having you loop back around the same topics again for one hour. Is there? Uh, Monty, we seem to share an affinity for Western cowboy iconography. Where did you develop slash discover this? Well, I'm from Colorado, so that really helped. Um, I just really like the cowboy aesthetic overall. I like handmade goods. So like cowboy boots are, I really love cowboy boots. They're very comfortable. I also love leather and the kind of artistry that goes into making them. I love cowboy hats. Uh, also, it's Pitt and Manning, the sheriff. <laughs> that's so right. I, did that. there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I love Western movies. Like I love that. I love Southwestern patterns. Uh, so I wear like a lot of Southwestern patterns. I basically only wear besides my wedding ring, which is platinum, but I basically only wear sterling silver jewelry and I only really wear turquoise. So I wear a lot of Navajo, uh, handmade Navajo jewelry. Um, so I like, I like silver and turquoise as colors. I don't know. I just, you know, I just grew up in that environment of, of kind of this Western slash Southwestern sensibility and really enjoy the aesthetic overall. Um, I like what it symbolizes, which is kind of the, wild open spaces of the West and the, the kind of independent do it yourself mentality that the West really, uh, you know, hell holds like the Western ideal. Let's put it that way. Uh, best wombo combo you've seen. I'm still partial to the M the classic League of Legends Empire with the Nunu in the bush and the Karthus ult for massive damage. Like that one's pretty fun. That's a that's an all time classic. I mean, to me, that we actually don't get as many crazy wombo combos as you want because you need certain champions. Like I'll give you an obvious one. You, if you have like Zyra in the game, there's a great yep. one. Like MF. the problem with the problem in the modern days, like most of those combos, you don't really tend to make them in modern pro play. It's more like an old school thing in it. There used to be some fucking sick ones, though, for sure. Yeah, the, I, I go over the classic, the Empire. Uh, a memorable failed LPL super team. Probably some of the Uzi ones. I don't know. Got to be the one where Uzi I joined OMG. So you had like, yeah. in theory, the best top side, <laughs> and then Uzi I joined. And at the time, they even had that cloud guy. Everyone was like, holy shit, like, this is be incredible. It didn't even make worlds. It was irrelevant in the LPL, believe it or not. Because that one on paper, that was the ultimate example of like a super team that just doesn't even make sense, but they tried to make it, you know. 
Yep. And it was a massive sign of people doing it. It was one of the biggest blockbuster moves ever. What is the lull patch change that you've hated the most? Uh, the lane swap change where they ham-fistedly like, made top lane turrets more durable in the early stages of the game, which is just a change purely directed at professional play, limited a lot of strategic options within the game and the way that professionals played because they wanted to make it like solo queue. So never a fan of that. Lowering the old skill ceiling. It's the one where they just made those defensive masteries OP and suddenly Dr. Mundo was the fucking <laughs> like, main champion in top lane. That was cancer, that fucking meta. By the way, the way you knew it sucked was... Right, here's the problem. In the modern day, right, if, you, if you're doing badly and you complain about what's making you do badly, people just say you're a sore loser, right? So actually what you have to do to get the point across is you have to do well, but then also be fair enough that you just say that it's shit. So I always thought it was actually sick that if you go back and watch my interviews, you can see all this. Even though Soaz was the best top laner at the time, he even said, oh, it's better fucking sucks and I hate it. And like, it makes me hate playing League of Legends where I have to just play like Renekton into Shivana into Doctor. Like, yeah, even he, even he admitted it and he was the best. So if the best players in the world, by the way, are like, nerf the fuck, please change my role. You've probably got some flaws in that role. So I wasn't a fan of that patch. I thought it was, it was like anti-League of Legends, mate. It was anti-League of Legends. Uh, assuming that you followed a bit of the case of Deshaun Watson and the 24 accusation of sexual sexual assault, do you do you either of you think the NFL will dis- suspend him for more than a year, or will he get to play for the Browns already this year? Um, Wasn't it already like the rumor that he's going to probably have to sit out the year or something? There's the rumor is right now that he'll face an indefinite suspension, which I definitely think is the right call because these these accusations like continue to come out. So until all of it is reasonably settled. I mean, and also like, I mean, 24 people is just fucking crazy. And also he had like 66 massage therapists in like two or three years, which is obviously extremely suspicious. Um, I, I, I think he needs to be suspended until this is all fully investigated because it's too fucking crazy. Innocent until proven guilty. I mean, technically, he wasn't indicted by the criminal courts, but that doesn't mean he's innocent of, you know. I can't, I can't know anything about these cases. Well, that's why I think it needs to be investigated. I mean, there's just too much going on. Like, I think you have to suspend him. Um, yeah. It's, it seems like a bad situation. Uh, is there a Dune book you would recommend stopping at? This is definitely a Thorin oh. question. I've well, only read the first it's... four, so I don't know if there oh, are any good oh, okay. ones Okay, here's that. the answer. Stop at the sixth one. Okay. And basically, when Frank Herbert isn't writing anymore, stop. There you go. Problem solved. All the original six are mega. Uh, just randomly checked in the LCL spring playoffs were canceled. The league isn't running anymore. Are there any CIS? Yeah. I don't know. if I don't think there are Russian esports operating currently by non-Russian run esports maybe dota is dota still operating what do you mean are there are a lot of russian teams in dota are they still operating like russian dota tournaments as in in russia itself i, I don't know about that like i know like for, in Counter Strike, for example you can still play if you, if you have the visa you can still play in the west it's just if you have you have to have the visa the problem basically the reason why it doesn't surprise me they shut the lcl down is basically, as far as I can tell, go read Richard Lewis's work for this because he's outlining this all. As far as I can tell, people thought I was exaggerating, but I nailed this genuinely, Monty, something like weeks into that whole thing happening in February. I said 
the outcome from this likely, in light of how people have ramped up the sanctions and all the things that have happened since, the likelihood is, unfortunately, there's going to be a virtual Iron Curtain in esports. And what yeah. will happen is they can't come to the West beyond rare exceptions who can get like citizenship in Serbia or something. But there's going to be a bunch, like, for example, the grassroots people, there's not even going to be an org that's going to pick them up. So what's going to happen is I imagine they will just live in their own little world where it'll just be either only Russians playing each other or it'll be Russia plus whatever their allies are. Maybe they have China or Turkey. I don't know who they're going to get beat ally with but they might have their own little circuit so unfortunately they effectively won't be part of our circuit anymore That's you know it seems like it's gonna go it's it's really cool by the way thorin that we have now basically you know a lot of the esports e ecosystem most of it the vast majority of it is now owned by either developers or tournament operators that have very strong financial ties to uh, regimes with human rights violations of a variety of different countries, right? And so what's fucked up is like, okay, we live in this world, but those same companies are now the ones who are blacklisting Russia for human rights violations. So like, if we're going to violate, if we're just going to be a tie to people who violate human rights, why do we have to punish the Russians in, in this case, the Russian people who are esports players, who those yep. people haven't done anything wrong. It's not in their fucking control. So we have to punish them while propping up these other ones. So can't we just have all of the human rights violators be okay instead of just picking and choosing and virtue signaling that some are okay and some are not okay? Like, this is the most, this is the worst outcome of all of it, oh, it right? It's <laughs> They've genuinely created in esports the worst of all worlds. Like, you <laughs> get all worse? the stupid, petty, pointless things and trying to kill someone and end their whole career over a joke. And then on the other hand, you turn around and go, actually, Mr. Mass Murderer, thank you for the money. Continue. Great. <laughs> what a great scene, eh? I wonder why Mitch Lewis is leaving. And you're all going to go, because he's weak and because he does his thing on Twitter. No, because people like you exist. That's why. That's the real reason why. <laughs> yep. All right. Can immortals be saved and how? Yes, they can by changing their name to MIBR, by having the uh, restrictions on Brazilian players counting as imports to the LCS lifted so they can have a full Brazilian roster instantly saved. There you go. Also got uh, some decent pieces still. They could easily well, leave that team. Yeah, I mean, look, they were under a lot of pressure. We know from having revenge on the show about putting this roster together. It's not like they have the worst players. They just have terrible synergy, and you know, they're somehow less than the sum of their parts. You could save this roster. They. It's not like they have. It's not like Power of Evil is the worst fucking mid laner in the LCS. It's not like Revenge is still good for an NA top laner. Like there's Ignar. Come on. Um. It was always said the lack of developmental league was a big reason for NA's lack of success after the expansion of tier two in the past couple of years. It's arguably done nothing to develop good talent. Um, good talent like value slash five fire still falling through the cracks after it becomes clear that expanded development leagues and champions queue don't solve NA's fundamental issues. What will be the next excuse that everyone will cling to? I, it, it, I don't know why they keep offering excuses. The server just doesn't have any people on it. Like it's a small server. There's not enough competition to generate competitive players. That's it. You know, it's not... I don't understand why they won't just say that. Like, just fucking come out and say... the problem is, on some level, here's what they can't wrap their brain around. They always come in with the assumption that it is possible to just be the best and be American. They think, well, because I'm born American, why can't I just be the best? He's just giving you a reason. Like, you wouldn't have to just even be good. You'd have to all be, like, disproportionately better than your direct peer in Korea because there's more of them. And more of them are trying to play, and more of them are in the solo queue ranked, and more of them are trying to get on pro teams, and more of them are doing trials and tryouts and playing 16 hours a day. So, like, once you match those numbers, then we can start switching other variables. You're not even close to the numbers. 
uh, it, it's it's mostly just a number of players and effort problem within NA, but it, 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 we just have to deal with the reality that not that many people in NA play League of Legends compared to the other regions, and that's why it's less competitive. It's not it's not complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like NA just as a region takes esports less seriously. We always have smaller pools of players, except in console titles, because that's what NA plays, and nobody else plays on consoles except for Japan. Is that is that you know that's just that's just it. That's just how we live our lives in NA. Uh, Europe has a lot more players. Asia has a lot more players. And they have a lot more serious players as well. What accents do you think we need to hear more of, whether as casters or on the analyst desk? Uh, I mean, there's loads of British ones you'll never hear because everyone yeah. just has the London accent or whatever Southern accent, you know. Like, I think, essentially, I, I here's the problem. I can never know as a non-Brit how you tune into the accent. But, like, think about, like, a fucking, if you ever watch, like, Peaky Blinders, like, Birmingham accent, yeah. super unique. <laughs> yep. be Scottish super, would be great. Could That'd have loads fun. of character if you were a really good cast from all those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard because a lot of accents that are not, that are had by non-native English speakers are not particularly great to listen to. Uh, it's why one of the key things, the, the real pro tip slash hack is for one of those people to just live in the UK. Like, spoiler, the reason why Troubling has a really great sounding accent, even though she's got a Greek accent, doesn't sound like Forgiven. Where you can, I, I knew this guy and I could barely <laughs> understand him. It's because she, I think she lived in the UK at some point or something. Like, yeah. she has like a sort of a London twang to it. And so she sounds totally understandable to me. I've, I've never had any problem with her accent. So I'm trying to think, what, what's actually a good one? You know what? Here's what's bad. He's never on broadcast. He'll sadly never get it. But I actually, re even though other people think it sounds silly, I actually really like where you have an accent when you speak English, like Nelson's, where you sort of like, it's got like, because so, everything sounds like you've rounded the edges off of you. Nothing's harsh. It's sort <laughs> of just like you just drop out of a word. You never just go a hard, straight point to that. It's got, I think it sounds really good to my ear. I know yeah. people think it's a bit broken, but it sounds great. I'm talking about it. It has like a lyrical quality to it. I love it. Sure. Uh, two more questions. Inside the NBA is an Emmy-winning show, which I might argue makes use of similar characters that you guys employ in some of your shows. Why is it that characters like Kenny Smith are integral to this kind of dynamic that plebs like me don't understand? A common sentiment among the laymen is that they would prefer this kind of character removed. And oh, while I, I do not necessarily... Mean, you need a straight man, guys. That's that's the thing. You need a straight man, right? What they don't know is this, yes. Basically, by the way, this is one of the most famous pleb takes of all time. The pleb take goes like this. Kenny the Jetsmith, first of all, he wasn't the best player. So like, you did fucking nobody. How can he talk with Shaq and Charles Barkley? Get him off. Get someone in there. And they would always just pick a famous player, right? What they don't know is this. I'm not joking. Kenny Smith is literally the engine of that fucking desk, mate. Because one, he no if you notice, he's one of the only ones that sets everyone else up. He's like a fucking point guard. He like sets Charles Barkley up for the joke he knows. Spoiler, I can tell by the way they interact. Charles Barkley says that joke in the green room and then yeah. Kenny Smith is sort of prodding him to say it now live. He's not really coming up with all that fire off the top of his head. Then secondly, if you notice, cause Shaq on that show is a mad little bitch. He has, he has chilled out over the years, but he started off like with totally the wrong attitude for a fun show like that as in he would actually get his feelings hurt Monty when people zinged him on fucking inside the NBA and, I, and people know this he would just go to the same whack thing in the same way as he told me he'd beat me up he would just keep going to Charles Barkley like where's the rings where's the rings it's like that can't be the only go to mate like where's your fucking IQ how about that you couldn't even count your rings you dumb fuck do you know what I mean anyone can banter mate there's always banter coming back so there's the, Kenny Kenny is also really good at knowing when to like prod Shaq a little bit but not in a way that will like hurt his feelings so he can be a bad so Basically, yeah. And second, and lastly, because he's the lowest status 
accomplished player and celebrity figure of the play people as Monty says he also has to sometimes be the straight man and just take the banter and take the abuse and be the one who's the butt of the joke because there's another thing you can't all be the one getting the joke off someone yeah. has to sort of someone has to be the jobber in the WWE analogy and lose the match like someone has to get put over like these essentially there's a lot of skill to like what someone like him does that I, I agree with the question that a fan a casual fan isn't going to see it because the joke is what you think you enjoy it's like what I always say about my shows Ah, oh, but you're really obnoxious and you talked to me. Yeah, but if you like that really good answer, it only came because of what I just did beforehand. You cannot deny that part. So if you like what the person does in the initial part and the outcome, you secretly like it all because it's all part of the same pastiche, as it were. It's also the straight man is a stand-in for the reaction of the audience member. Yes. Where if you are if somebody's considered super zany, like Charles Barkley, right? Then you are actually as as the as the average pleb, your reaction is probably similar to the straight man's reaction on the show. So what the straight man can do is feign like kind of an appalled reaction or like, you know, because he, he validates your own, your own, like the average person's reaction to that experience and makes it so it's comfortable, right? So if somebody does something that's really zany and that person's laughing along or that person's like, you know, feigning a little shock or whatever, it actually normalizes the craziness. Right. So there's there. It, it really is kind of uh, it, that person serves as an emotional resonator for the average fan reaction. Right. It's why the one thing that really tilts me, Monty, is when as a host, you purposely ask a question, you know, the answer to and sound stupid because you have to do that. So the other guy can answer the bloody question yep. for everyone else who doesn't know that. And then the idiot fan on Reddit goes, like, he doesn't even know that. It's like. You know how terrible an interview would be if you just go, well, I know the answer. So actually skip that question next thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to set it up. That's why I even sometimes say I'm going to sound really stupid now, but because it, it, that it makes the answer more effective. If you just ask in a very naive, open-ended way, you know, sadly, uh, that's, by the way, that's, it's the real reason why you are all plebs in esports. As in when you're going like, but this cast is blah, blah, blah. This is like, you don't even know that because unfortunately it takes a lot of technical ability and like industry understanding to even know how he's doing something good, what he's doing, how people set him up, what the broadcast, it's there's so much nuance to it. It's basically just enjoy the product. It's so complicated. You won't know it unless you've done years of this shit. Uh, LCS viewership is the lowest it's ever been. And teams like Immortals get no engagement on their tweets. This is true. If you guys are running LCS where you can change almost anything you want, talent, show segments, league slash tournament format, how quickly could you turn LCS around? It's really hard at this stage, guys. I think even if you know what you're doing, like, you know, the ship's already like half sunk. <laughs> so even if you were to make it really good, I'm not sure that you can pique people's interest because unfortunately, you're probably, you know, you're probably not getting a lot of new esports fans to League of Legends because every year that goes by, the game becomes more complicated, which makes it harder for new people to get in. And a lot of the current esports fans have already made up their mind about LCS because if you're hardcore enough to still be watching it, um, you probably want to watch better competition, which means you're watching one of the other regions, one of the other three major regions. Uh, and... Uh, you know, you you know, LCS kind of sucks in terms of competitiveness, so you may not be particularly interested in it. They haven't done anything interesting until recently with their product or their broadcast. But I do think you need to. The only hope is to is to really mix it up. Like I think you have to present the players very differently. I think you have to make talent changes. Uh, you know, 
there are people on that broadcast who have been around for a very long time who I do not think are bad at their jobs, but I, I think you have to make some changes just to keep it fresh, you know, frankly. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know where you go with a lot of this talent, but like, you know, if you've been on LCS for a decade, maybe it's time to get some new casters or go a different direction. And again, it's not because I think these people are bad. It's just that I think it has become very stale. The main area I would just lean heavily into, like I alluded to earlier about the WWE angle, is narrative story building because it's the one thing you can control that is separate and independent yep. to the player's ability and how good the region is. So, for example, one thing I would genuinely suggest to LCS teams is there are two routes you can take. Either be the best and try and win LCS and go to world. Spoiler, most of you can't do that. Or the other angle is have an identity. So we've banged on it in the past, but they're an obvious example, right? In theory, now EG's trying to just be the best, aren't they? But to me, the idea they had that whole slogan, it's a great slogan, like live evil, but they didn't even lean into it. Like they should genuinely have made it like we're the villains of the LCS. Like I would have had Jazuki and I would hire Dada because of jungler. And I'd, you know, I would make the team around that angle like we're the bad boys. In fact, our whole angle is we're not even trying to be the fucking popular ones. It's fuck everyone. We're, we're punk rock. We're here to wreck everyone. I would make teams like that. I would have a team where, yes, you hire LS, but you hire LS for the freak show. You hire him and you go, you have total control. Any players you want, any system you want, any practice approach you want, any drafting watch, you do it because my whole thing is, it's your team, it's the LS team. I would have a team where I had like Dom as the coach or something and have his though, bringing his sort of a players. Even when you have a, team, a guy like Peter Don, you haven't lent into it, I would it'd be like, the guy who built Mad Lions, so I'd have him only bringing in rookies and Ross, that'd be my whole identity. Because this way, you can still compete, but you've got a totally unique reason, a compelling reason to not only follow the team, but I'm also hinting at you what my future path's going to be. Like, you now know if some bad boy support comes along and he's sort of in and out on other teams, maybe I'm going to sign to my EG team that's going to live evil. If I, if you've got some wacky player comes along who's just a one-trick champion or something, maybe LS is going to sign him because he thinks that's going to be in the meta. Like, this would be, this is actually a cool angle. And also, by the way, the broadcast should go totally in this direction. I'll tell you right now, anyone who watches the LCS broadcast, random fans, and pretends they're watching it for like deep tactical macro, they're not. Make it only narratives. Make it all yep. hyper narratives. Make the, like, by the way, even do the one you're doing with like Danny and Joe, but just make it more of that. Make it like, have have like Bjergsen and Jensen and all the boomer midlands trash talk Jojo and be like, he's not ready yet. Like, that's what I would do. I would go hard in that angle because Again, like I say, I can't make the players better. I can't make the regions better. But I can make the storylines cooler. I can make them actually some storylines exist to connect teams together. Yeah, and I think the difference is, at least with the casters and on the talent side, what LEC has done is that they have empowered their casters' strengths and used resources to, to like, you know, with Dracos and, and Vettius, like, being able to create music. Like, they've actually invested resources to help these people make content. And you can tell that they're a team that comes up with a lot of ideas and plays to the strengths of their casters and empowers them, right? I think the pro... And, and these people are highly motivated to make this kind of content. And I don't want to necessarily blame the NA casters because the producers in that region uh, up until recently have been not good, like, bad. And so they haven't empowered the casters. So I think many of those casters have not been motivated to put in extra effort to do these things because they've been shot down or not had those opportunities or it's been a waste of time, frankly. But 
I think at this point in time, that option needs to go back onto the table. And if people are not willing to step up and do the extra work and operate as a team and learn from what LEC has done to collaborate, to play to your strengths as a group of talent, then those people need to be fired. Um, because the, the level of complacency is just insane, I would say. And I don't think it's entirely their fault. I think that has been bred into them by being with some really bad producers, um, but still needs to be fixed. And also, even though this will be really unpopular, I would go to a best of three format. And here's why. Because I think the current format sucks. I don't want to watch eight different best of ones in a row. What is that? That's nothing. That's like when you go, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Monty. You know when you go on aeroplanes and they still do that thing in the modern day, Monty, where they go like TV section and you go in there and it's like, how I Met Your Mother, Season 5, Episode 17. You're like, well, I've never seen that before. Right, well, you can watch Modern Family, Season 8, Episode 4. But I've never watched that before. Well, you can watch The Sopranos, Season 4, Episode 6. It's like, just put a fucking season on already. Like, no one wants to watch TV that way. You want to watch the whole thing in a row. So what I would say is this. The reason why I would go to BO3 is because I'm not going to watch CLG FlyQuest anyway. But I'll tell you what, I'll watch the fuck out of Team Liquid Cloud Eye Best of 3. And in fact, I'll build my whole night around that like a sport. If that starts at 10 p.m. local time, I'll build my whole night like a nine i'll watch the pre-game i'll get ready right map one no one let phone off everyone now it's a fucking experience like sports i think just the weekly lcs format i think it's whack i think it was always whack plus i was never a fan i never enjoyed it mate well it's also the fact that nobody's forcing them to do double round robin they could do single round robin with best of threes and it would take probably approximately the same amount of time because obviously the average game time would be 2.5 but you save time because you're not switching out players yes. in between games and creating more breaks right like you can actually compact it so it would probably in total not take that much more time than the current broadcasts except it would be a lot easier and more enticing for people to follow like the annoying thing about LCS is the only reason people are like, well, the bad games, like the bad games wouldn't get viewership. The only reason the bad games get viewership right now is because it's a fucking waiting room for the next game that doesn't suck balls. Um, nobody's there, like you're saying, to watch the bottom teams play against each other. It's just that it's short enough to get to the next thing. But then it depresses the viewership of the actual good games as well, because you, it's not a best of three. It doesn't last the same amount of time. There isn't as much time to get involved into it. Right. So I don't know. Like. The other thing is, as we talked about earlier on this show, the way you save LCS is by opening it up to a lot more players from more regions, making it an, a more international league, and then activating the fan bases from those regions. Because otherwise, there's no point in being a, a, a lower tier team because there's no financial incentive because they made a, a really bad league that doesn't actually make any sense for for bad teams to put in money, right? And you you know that Riot believes this, because they're not doing it with Valorant. You know that they believe this because they're not doing the same model with Valorant. And in fact, what they're doing is they're picking partner teams and giving them some money, right? So they keep that incentive, but it's not a guarantee that they're always oh, going to be in the league. Yeah, yeah they, well, well, but this would be like if Valve gave the good teams that they liked some money. So I mean, it it's gives like what ESL and them do anyway, though, with the rev share of the party. Yeah, teams, it gives them it? an advantage, right? It gives you an advantage, but it does not guarantee that you're going to be good if you don't make aggressive decisions or invest money on your own, which I actually think is a good system. Like, credit to Riot. Like, I, the more I think about this Valorant idea, the more I like what they're doing with it. Um, but yeah, that th there there is a reason why they're not franchising Valorant. All right, that's it. We'll see you guys next week for another episode of Summoning Insight. Till then.